What were we doing again? Hmm? What were we doing? Finishing off completely Beatles. <laughs> oh, good. That's my favorite. That's everyone's favorite this, episode. This one's just going to be about their haircuts. Just about the haircuts of the Beatles throughout their careers. It seems strange to me, but I'm sure there's a logical reason that that is the most most listened to episode, the final episode of Completely Beatles. Oh, is it? Yeah. Is it by a long shot? Or... Oh, yeah. Huh. All it's right. weird, isn't it? It's like people, people are like, this is where I'm going to start. The very last episode, they must have had their shit together by this point. Listened to it and went, they didn't. What was the title of that one? The End. It just said The End? Oh, no, no, sorry. It wasn't The End. Real Love? Real Love, yeah, that was the final ah, one. Maybe people just like Real Love. Yeah. Like, well, what's this Real Love business? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's not the first thing that you think of when you think of the Beatles. Are yeah. we on the air right now? We haven't started the show yet. Fantastic. Let's, uh, let's uh, do it now. Okay. Welcome to uh, Completely Beatles, I was about to say. God damn it. Uh, you hypnotized me. You tricked me. Trick, trickster is what this guy is. A real coyote is who he is. Uh, I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Edrick. And this is episode 336 on your AM dial. <laughs> yes. Yep. That's too That's a too little too low on the AM dial, I believe. Oh, what would be down that low? That'd be I a Christian you, rock station there? Not even Christian rock. Just Christian, Christian talk. Christian news. Christian and news. Christian news is it. just, Jesus has not come back yet. <laughs> still waiting. Yeah, we're still waiting. Looking, we'll uh, keep you updated if Jesus has come back. Looking on the clock, we've got 2018. No, I guess it's not 2018 years because uh, we'd have to minus 33 from that. So we would get 33 minus 18. You, why, minus, are you, why are you taking that away, 33? Well, because uh, his... The zero is at his birth, not at his death. Yeah, so his birth is zero. Mm-hmm. So it's two. But we were waiting for him to come back. Oh, as you say, you've been waiting for that amount of yeah, years for yeah. him to come back. For I him to come back, right. so that would be thirty-three years after his birth. Subtract two thousand eighteen from that, and you get nineteen ninety. It's a while. Something. <laughs> but you know what? Then it'll also <laughs> be the apocalypse, so no rush. Everything's fine. This is why we're I'm not good. a mathematician. No, that's okay. I cannot do simple math. That is even. all right. What we need Even is that. a Christian scientist who knows uh, <laughs> you know, their way around math and science. <laughs> Do they know their way around math and science? You know what? I will be honest with you. I've seen the buildings. I have no idea what a Christian scientist is. They're very is. nice. And they have okay, like, well, they're very nice. All right, good. All right. They have, what's the what's the gist of it? Why are they scientists? I really don't know. But it's Jesus Christ scientist, right? Uh, or is that a different one? There's also Christian science. I know. Christian I've seen science. Christian scientists, okay. yeah. Because there's that really nice fancy one over in like in the la Dida neighborhoods um, off, off Burrard. And kind of uh, between Arbutus and whatever. Yep. Uh, and that the tree area of Vancouver. Yep. And uh, it's a very nice building. But I think it says Jesus Christ, comma, scientist. In the sign. Yeah. Like you a, don't often see a comma in a sign. No, they want to make, make it clear There's not a lot of you. punctuation unless it's an it's, exclamation it, mark at the end. They want to make it clear that it's not his name. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. You don't also see quotes a lot in uh, signs <laughs> of things. You don't often see ironic yeah. signs. The Church of, quote, unquote, Christ. I would actually go in and see what that's about. That would be... Yeah. yeah. Like, huh. huh. Or an, or a question very, mark at the end. Yeah. The Church of Christ? Very dubious. Like, yeah, let's go in and see what mm-hmm. this is about. Though mm-hmm. it does seem like a trap. And it'd be fair on you, them, you. for grabbing you it'd if you. Uh, you go into that. Uh, quick uh, round of plugs as to uh, where we can be seen. 
Um, if you're uh, in Toronto this weekend, uh, the 12th and 13th, I say this weekend, you may be listening to this at any point in the future, mm-hmm. but uh, May of 2018, if you're there uh, the 12th to 13th in Toronto, I'm going to be at TCAF with the third dragon, Nina Matsumoto. We're going to be uh, promoting our book, Sparks, and we're going to have on the 13th a panel about Sparks. Unfortunately, David is not going to be there because, again, as we've said, he did something at the CN Tower and is not <laughs> let back. It's a, it's a re- there's a reason it's not the tallest tower anymore. That's right. He also said some of the Great Lakes weren't all that great. And uh, mm-hmm. that is something we yeah. we do not cotton to here in Canada. That's right. I use quotation marks. <laughs> That's As right. Lake Superior? Now, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If you're already a great lake, yeah. do you have to call yourself superior? That seems like someone's really got something to prove as a fucking lake. Eh? <laughs> well, it feels like uh, it feels odd that we're thinking lakes name themselves. Well, who does name a lake? I think people name lakes. And do they name them all at the same time? Yes. All at the same time, they yeah. were like, okay, yeah. so you're superior. What else you got? I don't know. Yeah, no, eerie? I don't so. Like, oh, no. I think if you think back to that time, they would have been... Like years between lakes for pe- some people. Like they wouldn't. Walk. So there'd just be a lake with no name, as in the old song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we in get the desert. Before we get into all that nonsense, uh, if you do want to see David and me and Nina, the the Trinity, uh, which again <laughs> is a Christian reference, a lot of Christian references uh, in this episode. Uh, we're going to be on May nineteenth and twentieth at quote, Van Calf. Trinity. There you go, Van Calf mm-hmm. in uh, Vancouver, Canada. We and again, there. all this stuff is free, so come and uh, see it. I'm doing a couple of panels. I don't know what panels I'm doing yet. Oh. Uh, looking forward to it though. It'll yeah. be fun. Uh, there we go. Okay, back to Lake Talk. Uh, what's your favorite lake of all the lakes? Mine's Ontario, just because I used to live uh, in Ontario. So I got some. That is uh, your favorite lake. I, I enjoy, I've I've enjoyed standing by that lake, looking out on it, and uh, wow. I sometimes dream about it. I mean, my favorite lake is uh, of the Great Lakes. Oh, of the Great Lakes. Yes, Erie. Okay, that's the best name. All right. It seems the scariest, most mysterious lake. But I don't know. I think they're all they're all great. You seem to have. Can you ha- name all the all the Great Lakes? Can you uh, name all the Great Lakes? Uh, well, I can do the trick, which is uh, you know it's like Ontario, okay, uh, Michigan. I don't think so. Erie, Superior, Huron. Okay, isn't it Michigan? Is it Lake Michigan? Is it? What do you think the uh, What do you think the other? I don't one is? know. I was asking if you. Could name them. <laughs> I don't. I know there's Lake Ontario. Well, I'm going Lake with Superior the. I'm going with uh, the thing of homes. You spell the word homes. Oh, okay. So it's H O M E S. So oh, okay. Huron, Ontario, Lake Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, that makes sense because because uh, Erie Superior because that's the one that blows all the cold wind onto Chicago, right? Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? Well, it's what makes it the windy city. Because of Lake Michigan. Yeah. Hmm. Otherwise, it would just be the city. Seems wrong that it's not Lake Illinois. You know what? Write a letter. Throw it in the lake. <laughs> That's what they would like to see. Now, you had a strong opinion about, go, what, go uh, about the, the best lake before I even got into this. And you were like, oh, of those lakes. Well, then, I, uh, no, yeah, sir, yeah. I don't have an opinion. Well, you said my favorite lake. Yeah, and what, I was like, what, what is my favorite lake? But you immediately, no, no, you didn't yeah. go, what is my favorite? You no, went, no. yes. I know my favorite You lake. had it loaded up. Yeah. What is your favorite lake? Well, because my favorite lake is where I've spent the most time on a lake, which would be um, where my brother-in-law and sister-in-law have a cabin, um, which is Lake... Um, now the name's <laughs> Lake Wobegon, which apparently is a terrible lake nowadays. It used to be really nice. The one at uh, it's gone downhill. Crystal Lake, that one? Crystal Lake. Once again, it's problems there. I don't know if you heard about it. But to be fair to Crystal Lake, mm-hmm. okay, now yes, you've heard about... Why can't I remember the name of this lake? Anyway. Okay, but let's just get into Crystal okay. Lake for a second. Here. Yep. Yes, there were some murders, <laughs> but... Wasn't it, it years and years of murders? Well, this the, well no, no, okay. Or do they move on? Look. Yes and no. Uh, let's ask that question second. We'll put that one on the shelf for a second. But like, 
think of like how much not murder there is at Crystal Lake. Like once every <laughs> once every I don't know like like five years there's yeah. a murder spree. Yeah. But the rest of the time that seems like a lot. Is it? Yeah. Okay. But it's and really that's just over like a weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, so so your yeah. odds are are excellent. Sure. If you go there, that you're going to be mm-hmm. fine. There's but, probably like n- n- normally at any yeah. lake, there's drownings and other kind of sure, stuff. Sure. I, no, I, you're right. So it's pretty, it's pretty good. Like you bash it for what it is, but like <laughs> that's rare that uh, that uh, Jason comes I, out of the lake. Or, I just want to point or out Jason's though, mom. If you're going with the earlier uh, episode, I just want to point out though that your your odds of of dying are even less if you don't go at all. Well, like that, really, you are a lot safer. Not going to Crystal Lake at well, all. Well, that's not true. I mean, because look at all the people that uh, fell asleep in, uh, you know, in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. They didn't go to Crystal Lake. Some no. of them did in the crossover, yeah, yeah. To, be, to be fair. Sure. And they, and they died. Did they? And how about those people that went to the cabin in the woods and read from the Necronomicon? They mm. were nowhere near that lake, and they died. So there's no safety in staying away from the lake. Yeah. You know, the, the, the evil forces can come and get you really wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not wherever you are. They seem to be limited to, to certain environments. There's not, again, Chicago. There's never mm-hmm. been like uh, a monster of the likes of Jason or or Freddy, or even a Michael Myers has, has attacked Chicago. So like a city like that's pretty good, and I think that's mostly because of the blues. Yeah, the 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 monsters don't cotton to the blues. Is that right? Yeah, I don't think so. Jason <laughs> has taken Manhattan. Yes, but that but, was brief. And it's not and, really a it's not really a blues based city. Yeah, and he didn't he didn't do a lot of damage. Like he went on mm-hmm. a train full of people and. I don't even know if he killed anyone on the damn thing. And to be fair, it was really the SkyTrain. So, <laughs> so you're safe if you're in Manhattan. Yeah. What were they thinking? Stay off the SkyTrain. By the way, with that movie, where Jason, I've never. It's. Uh, I'll tell you right now. This is how much okay, uh, Friday ahead. the 13th that I've seen. None of it. Fair enough. I've seen. I should say that I've seen some of it, but I saw some of it at a party as mm-hmm. a teenager, which is probably the worst way to see a movie. Second, only second to actually not seeing the movie. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say about Friday the 13th, Jason Takes Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, I saw it because it was shot in Vancouver, so I watched people I know yeah. get killed by Jason, which was interesting. You saw, you saw a movie shot in Vancouver, yeah. and you saw people shot in Vancouver. No, no, no. Jason doesn't shoot people. He doesn't have a gun. Well, that is so inefficient. He should, he He's should get pretty little, efficient. He should get a little better. He's pretty efficient. He could like, do he a lot better. Anything. He could do a lot better with a gun. I don't think so. Because he's got the bad eyes, because his face is all messed up, and he's <laughs> okay. looking through the hockey mask. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yet, I don't think he's ever killed anyone with a hockey stick. And Casey Jones is all right with his hockey mask on. You're correct. I think he's doing a tribute, though. Uh, but Casey, does Casey Jones use a gun? I no, think he uses a hockey use stick. A hockey stick. He uses a hockey stick. He never uses a puck. gun. No, no, no. Okay, fair enough. But he's um, a good guy. Good guy should, should be shooting But guns. here's my problem with the, with, the, with the movie, aside from other problems which you'd have with the movie, <laughs> is, uh, yeah. is you've got a scene that takes place in the New York subway. Yeah. And, uh, and they use our SkyTrain. And I use our SkyTrain before it was a little bit fancied up here, like our old SkyTrain from yes. like around Expo times. Yeah. Which, look, man, everyone knows what a New York subway looks like, and it ain't that yeah. at all. Sure. What are they trying to pull? Just build a set. <laughs> build a set. No one cares. For that. Like, or just shoot it. Like, yeah. one day, go shoot it in New York on a subway that's like abandoned or some shit. But you can't, you can't pass our subway off as that subway. That's ridiculous. Not even close. But they did it twice, didn't they? Because isn't uh, the Incredible Hulk also? Though I don't know using... if was that. Did that? Ta- I guess that would take place in New York because uh, Daredevil was his lawyer, and yeah, it would all have to be in New York. Yeah, you're right. They've tried to do it twice. Mm. Yeah, That's... and and I don't know where Twenty One Jump Street is supposed to occur mm. but at the opening uh sequence of 21 jump street that's the sky train going by in that's whatever right. major yeah. uh, city they're they're sure. pretending that is sure 
Maybe it's San Francisco. Uh, I don't know. All I know is it's got enough high schools that the same kids can disguise themselves and never get recognized every week going to a different school. <laughs> Even though it's a huge story with whatever they do yeah, yeah. at that school. And you would think... Kept, they're pretty also, hush-hush. It, was, it was way before anyone, mm-hmm. I suppose, had cameras and mm-hmm. would take pictures of the most handsome new student that ever came to class. Yeah. Uh, you know, nowadays it would just be pick, 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 pick. And then the next time you go to school, it's like, hey, you were this guy from there. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, fair enough. Bust at the end. Yes, it'd be a lot harder to be undercover now, as as discussed in uh, 20, 22 Jump Street Have and you, 23 Jump Street. Are you familiar with what's, uh, what, what the next uh, film is going to be and what it's crossing over with? The Jump Street films? Yes. The next 21 Jump Street film is going to cross over with what other uh, movie franchise? Uh, it's a movie fran- franchise. Not a TV. that has had three movies uh, so far. Okay, that Let's Hope Police Academy. Mm-hmm. Though like Police Academy, mm. it also had a cartoon series. Is that right? Yes. Does that clue help you in any way? Uh, Ghostbusters? Nope. That's had three movies. That it, you're you're absolutely correct. That would fit the criteria, but no, it doesn't. It is not. Though, okay. boy, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? It's not a million miles away from Ghostbusters. Is that right? Yeah. Oh well, I'm really confused now. All right, is anyone else else out there guessing guessing better than I am? All right, we're going to take some calls then from Let's our take listeners. Some- <laughs> and, see. and line one, go ahead. And it turns out this is a yeah. pre-taped show. Yeah, so. we don't actually have any lines. In there. Yeah. Um, just so if you press the definitely that, just a little voice goes, "Hello." Yeah, I'm so I'm sorry. I, yeah. I blocked your offer that's of, of that. You, that. That's what you wanted, but you didn't. Yeah. Um, you're going somewhere else. Uh, oh man, so three movies. Right. It's a series. Is it? Is it? But it's not. It's it's not. Is it another detective thing? Is like it a detective? Is, thing? is it like Twenty One Jump Street? Is it like an undercover thing? Happening. They stuff. no, they don't really go. They don't really go undercover, though. They do have secrets. Gosh darn it! Three films. Uh, I'm gonna make one final guess. Okay. Does it involve James Brolin in any way? It doesn't. Oh well, then you're wrong. James Brolin. Hmm. Gee, now you really. I don't know. I don't know at all. Though he he wasn't in all of them. He was just in the most recent one. Men in Black. Yes. Oh, okay. They're crossing over with Men in That's Black. That's not J- Josh Brolin. Oh, I apologize. Who's James Brolin? His father. Oh. Yeah. Well, I apologize for confusing my Brolins. Yes, I really certainly. got my Brolins uh, in a bunch there. I apologize uh, so much to the Brolin family and the fine work they've done. What is what did his dad do film wise? I don't know. Oh, well, that was a bit. Of I think down. nothing special. Nothing special. I don't think so. Wasn't he? Wasn't he kind of more of a like? All I can think of him in is like wasn't he in something like Hotel or something like that? Like kind of like a big budget. I don't know. I really don't know. Huh. Okay. I don't think he did anything that was like. I think he's one of those actors who are like already old before by the time you see them <laughs> they're already old do you know what i mean okay those are actors like that right sure like you, n- you never heard of them before there's people that were professionally old i've seen some people yeah. who i remember from like tv series in the 80s that were professionally old in the in the like 50s yeah and they're like they were the old man back then yeah or again like an ed asner who has like always been old even though he was younger than me when he was on mary tyler Moore. <laughs> and and then yeah i mean i don't know it just i don't remember him be- i mean all i can remember him for is that he was uh a, in a relationship with Barbara Streisand for a long time. If not, still in a relationship with Barbara Wait, Streisand. Wait, who are we talking about here? Is that really his dad? Jim That Brolin. guy? Yeah. He's he's the other... Bro- they look the, almost the same age. Because, again, uh, the younger <laughs> Brolin has always had old face. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're, I did not know that that was his I'm pretty dad. sure. I'm pretty sure that I'm correct. I All might. Right. I mean, I'm now that we're discussing it like this. I'm. I'm slowly going down to like yeah, eighty percent. You're, you're sweating. You're really pulling at your collar a lot. Eighty percent certain now. I see you hitting the edit button a lot on the old, uh, <laughs> the old thing there. Listen, if uh, we could look it up, but we're not going to. Let us know if who's 
who's yeah. correct about this? Well, and also, what your favorite Josh Brolin uh, movie is? Yeah, please let me know at least or one James Josh Brolin or whoever you James want. James Bro- well, Josh Brolin. What's your favorite Josh Brolin movie? No, Josh is Josh is the younger. Josh is the younger one. Well, you could go like Hail Caesar. You could go no, uh, I couldn't. Infinity War. I really Wars. didn't care for that. You could go. Uh, I did like Infinity War. You could go uh, No Country for Old Men. I was all right with that. Yeah. Go um, that you, Woody you, Allen movie. You couldn't with, go. Uh, uh, jo- you couldn't go Jonah a tall, Hex. A Tall Dark Stranger. Yeah. Jonah Hex, you could go with that movie if you have no taste at all. Um, that guy's really redeemed himself as far as comic book movies have gone. Good for him. Yeah, well, he's in because he's going to be in uh, Dead Mouse too, right? Yep. It's yeah. Pretty good. The squeakening. The squeakening dance. Still, uh, I thought it was like like kind of like one of those step up movies. Here's um, something I'm going to throw out about Deadpool two. Please don't. All right, forget it. <laughs> no, when I've looked at when I've looked at. The old comics, and again, I'm not that I'm not that hip as to who Cable is. I know, I know, I know who Cable mm-hmm. is. I know who his parents are. I know. I'm not going to say. I know what is. Cable is. Right, but he I, here's here's the gist about Cable without telling you who his parents are or any of these like spoilers. Yeah, he comes from the future. Kate, uh, future's bad. Has a metal arm. He's got a metal arm. But in the comic, you look at the metal arm and you go like, oh, because it's the future, right? You're like, yeah. it's not going to be a cyborg arm because everyone's got a cyborg arm. You know who's got a cyborg arm? Your Winter Soldier's got a cyborg, cyborg. arm. Cyborg has a cyborg, cyborg arm. Cyborg has a cyborg arm. Yeah. Uh, Winter Soldier has a cyborg mm-hmm. arm. Uh, Misty Knight from the Luke Cage uh, Power Man thing. She's got a she's got mm-hmm. a, a cyborg arm. Everyone's got a damn cyborg arm. So who cares? Is You're, that going to happen in the series, do you think? Because there's a Misty Knight in that, right? Yeah. And if you look at the trailer, yeah. She, she, I don't want to say what, this, what happened last season, but... Yeah, she's going to. Yeah, she's got the arm. In it's the in defenders, the, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the posters as well. It's in the posters. It's spoiled oh. by the posters. Oh. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, cyborg arm, and in the comic she does. What I thought the deal was going to be was that he got the arm from, um, from Colossus. Yeah. Like he's got Colossus's arm, and he just like had that attached to him, and so he just took a body part from another X Men, mm. which seems grosser, more badass, and interesting, yeah. and also very disturbing to Colossus every time he teams <laughs> up with him. And since yeah. Colossus is in this movie, mm. ooh, you do a little something with that as well. But yeah. no, that's not the way it is. Just a damn robot arm. Who fucking cares? And a robot eye, which you know, look, uh, Steve Austin had one of those in the seventies. So what are we doing? Why are we still cyborg eyeing? <laughs> I guess uh, it's you can still do it. Just because the $6 million man had one doesn't mean no one can have one. I know, but... Every, he also just, had a cyborg arm. Everyone seems to have Speaking a cyborg, of cyborg eye. Once again, cyborg has a cyborg eye. Yeah. Uh, Cape cyborg. Carson has a cyborg eye. It's the name of a comic that's being published right now. There's a lot of cyborg eyes. Who, who cares? <laughs> Is it called Cyborg Eyes? It's called Cave Carson Yeah. has a cyborg eye. Really? Yes. It's Cave... Cybernetic eye. I apologize. Cybernetic eye. Yes. Well, that's different. It's just cybernetic. Like mm-hmm. it's cyber-ish. It's not a full cyborg guy. It just has elements of being a cyborg. It's one that you can take out and look at and feel. Mm. Both cyborg and kinetic. All right. What's the difference between being bionic and being a cyborg? Even though I know the original title for the Bionic Man was Cyborg. Is well, there a difference between... Was uh, it really? Yeah, the book is mm. called Cyborg oh, that it's on. based on. What, uh, what is the difference between being a bionic person and being a cyborg? Or is there one? <sighs> okay, the Bionic Man, the most badass of all of the cyborgs. Even more than Cyborg. Yeah, definitely. Even more than Deathlock. Totally. Who also sure. has a cybernetic eye, I believe. <laughs> and well, he's definitely got an arm. Yeah. Fuck, that's one more. <laughs> yes. You know that's why? Four Do you know why? Now in Marvel that have a damn <laughs> cyborg freaking arm. Because it's fun to it's fun to draw. Yeah. And you don't have to do all the muscle stuff. There's a. I was looking at this. Uh, this is really going to go off the. Are you? Do you feel like we've beaten this one? Do you think we well? have rails to go off of right now? <laughs> 
Do you think this train is going to be pulling into any station? Seems like we fall into a lot of stations. Yeah. Whether we this successfully, train, it seems like we go this through the This train is rolling station. down a hill and just like rolling over stations. It's fine. Uh, someone showed me this meme, or as it's pronounced, should be pronounced, meme. Yeah. We all know that. Um, is this meme a, a, a meme a, a gif or a gif? Oh, it's always a gif. It's a gif to the ears and the eyes. So it's okay. It's like. A, an incredibly muscular man. And then it has this question. It's like, this guy talks to your girlfriend. What do you do? <laughs> okay. So that's... that's. Now, first of all, is the muscular man you and you're just bragging right now? No, it's all not right, me. Fair enough. It's not me. All right. And believe me, folks, if I talk to your girlfriend, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing. There's no, no, no issues. But the hilarious part of it is that even though the guy in this image yeah. looks pretty buff. Sure. Someone has taken it upon himself to up the buffness. They've they've up buffed using Photoshop, using the airbrush in Photoshop, and they've just airbrushed what looked like, well, balloon boobs on this person. Uh-huh. They've just given him incredible pecs. I guess those are pecs. I don't really know. I, even though I do like stuff at the gym, I have no idea what any of the muscles in our body are called. Oh. But I assume that those like front ones, like around. On our, to- our chest, our pecs, is that correct? Sounds about right. Okay, I'm glad you agree So if something gets hurt at the gym, you don't know what to call it. No, I don't. And they're like, are you it's okay? Like, yeah, I hurt my, uh, you know, that your muscle. round bits. <laughs> muscle, you hurt your round bits? That muscle. Uh, Would you just say your arm well, you or could your just back? Point, you you could point to it. You don't, you don't say, oh, I hurt my, my chesticles. quadricep or yeah. something like that. You just go, oh, I hurt my leg. All right. Um, so no, so he's got uh, this they've, they've giant. They've chested him. Okay. Yeah, he's got this giant, like, just giving him ginormous Big boobs. Rack, yeah. And then they've made his arms even bigger. Of course. But they don't know how what muscles are. So their idea of like adding more muscles is they just draw like they just make the arm thicker. Mm-hmm. And then they like airbrush this straight line down the down the bicep. Oh, okay. Like forgetting the fact that the bicep is like three different muscles that are con- like you know tricep and bicep and all that stuff. And so you have that con- weird kind of like I can show you with my arm. Sure. All right, Dave's taking his shirt off. Yeah, sure. Right. So you see right here, like yeah. there's that little, like kind of a zigzag almost. All Can right. You see that? Sure. No, it's not like a straight line, right? Yeah. It's weird. Like, why would and looks so fake? And so your your reaction to it isn't like if this guy talked to this guy talks to your girlfriend, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, well, how come this cartoon character came to life and is talking to my girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the question, because he looks like a cartoon character. Like right. What? Also. Like, uh, so he's talking to your girlfriend. Yeah. Is there any what's follow, a, follow up of like what's uh, yeah? Here's yeah, a couple what's the context? Things. Yeah, what's the context? Does he know her from uh, yeah. school? Are you at a store? Is he helping her with um with yeah. a purchase? Uh, also, what's she saying about this? Because this is really on her, <laughs> it's really, right? Because really really the whole thing, if she yeah. goes, uh, take me away from this nerd, uh, then uh, this wasn't going to work out for you anyway, buddy. <clears throat> he's not a nerd. No, 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 no. This guy. I no, we this are guy the nerd. Built man. Because they're asking you, the person who's looking at memes and answering online. Yeah. So clearly, you're a nerd. Uh, you know what you're gonna do about this, and if you answer, then you're an Earth. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like Johnny you. Tough Guy wouldn't be like, "Well, I'll tell you what I do, computer." <laughs> like they wouldn't. And I'm assuming the guy's dumb. And I'm sorry about that. That's a horrible stereotype. Dolph Lundgren, uh, not dumb at all. Very smart. Yeah, very smart Much guy. smarter than me. Mm. Uh, and I don't know what. I, you know what? I think Dolph would just like take it with a grain of salt, and he'd just be like, "No, well," and uh, see what uh, the reaction of the person. He to was be with. to be fair to you. Dolph, Lund- Dolph Lundgren. It's hard to say his name. He it? doesn't look smart. 
No, but that's uh, that's how he fools you. And then he mm. gets like a doctorate and he learns like <laughs> he gets, five languages. He gets, he gets kicks, a doctorate on you. Yeah, and then kicks your ass uh, <laughs> academically. Yeah. Yeah. Really, uh, really nails you. He, he is a very, very smart guy. Even uh, someone who like, you look at like mm. a Sylvester Stallone, you're like, well, that guy just comes across as a real dummy. Mm. Wrong. He's like an amazing uh, writer. Wrote the first damn Rocky movie. He's, he's a smarty pants. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's smart. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Where's the where's the real durr, uh, tough guys of yesteryear? Where are those guys? Yeah, they're all smart. N- you're Schwarzenegger, about... he's probably fucking smart. Mm. Everyone's Were they smart. ever dumb? I mean, if you're if you're an actor, like even if you're playing you, like, you think dumb... there's never been a dumb actor before? I shouldn't say there's never been a dumb actor, but I think most actors. I've uh, but worked with some. Dumb you work with them. I've worked dummies? with actors where it's like if you're writing for this actor, and let's say it was a very handsome person. Okay. Very handsome person. Very mm-hmm. handsome over many years. Yeah. Don't try and figure out who this person is. <laughs> but it was always like, don't write words that are more than three syllables. Really? Yeah. Don't. Hmm. Don't. Because you're just gonna like, we're gonna we're gonna be here all damn day. Wow. Keep it simple. Keep it snappy. Hmm. Don't don't uh, increase my vocabulary. Yeah. None of that. There's a there's a movie. It was on the movie network, and then it moved to Netflix, and it's called I think it's called Don't Kill It, something like that. All right. And it stars stars Dolph Lundgren. It's a new newer new film. Sure. And it's he's some, having a bit of a resurgence, a little bit. Is he well because of the Expendables movies? Maybe Expendables. He's also on Arrow. He's also on a couple of things. He's being mm. very charming now. Yeah. Very charming. He's kind of letting his uh, smart flag fly, and uh, no one says any bad things about Mr. Lundgren. Well, that's so. good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. But I think it's funny the way you pronounced the name of that movie. It almost sounded like you're referring to the to the way the actors are aging. It sounded like you said the Expandables. <laughs> but yeah, in this movie, he plays like a, a a demon hunter who. Okay. And in the movie, there's a demon, kind of like in that Kyle MacLachlan film where the demon moves from person to person. But it only moves. But that if, was an alien, yes. But if you kill, if you kill this, kill a person the demon is inhabiting, he will move to another body. True. And then go on. This is what this move and don't kill it. So that's what the thing is. Don't kill it. And again, my recommendation you is you should see the hidden. Pretty good. Yeah, that's a good movie. This this one I'm referring to isn't isn't that great. It's a pretty right. it's pretty low budget uh, low budget fare, which you know is fine for for Dolph because you say he's a brilliant man. Yeah, yeah. And has made. He cannot make a wrong move no, as an actor because crank, crank he, out a couple of B movies. He takes his, takes his. Hey, obviously he's figured out that it's better to work in movies, even garbage movies, than it is to actually work in academia because that's where it really is boring. Perhaps, no, no or friend. perhaps he There's, does that as a there, hobby. There are no blondes and no cocaine in academia. Let's just put it that way. Or I, a extremely many, how, reduced. How many amount. wives did uh, Stephen Hawking have? How many of them were blonde? None. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I, don't know. I have no idea. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, saying, I'm, I'm basing just that saying on a movie. There were some smart people that ended up uh, going out with Marilyn Monroe as well. So we'll just go, we'll just go with that. And she was the ultimate blonde. Sure. When you're thinking like the yeah, ultimate yeah. blonde, there mm-hmm. you are. They were just a bunch of niggers. Sorry, what? They were niggers. Uh, what's what are you what are you saying? <laughs> they were nagging her. Oh, very good. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Okay, Thanks for the clarification. Is, let's okay, really sorry. let's really make that audio crisp. <laughs> Okay, I meant that she was a person who's susceptible to to the negative, negative. Very good stuff. She had a very poor self-image, and we're all just talking about the importance of articulation in a a podcast. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) Sorry. Nope. Sorry if anyone misheard me. Nope. That's fine. The people out there might have thought I was saying Eggers, David Eggers. I was referring to Dave Eggers, the author. Uh, And no, I was not referring to to him. Here we go. I think it's a perfectly fine film. Sure, I like it a lot. Uh, I did not see a hologram for the king. 
but I assume that it's it's okay. Did he write that? Uh, he wrote the screenplay for it. Yes. One day I will see that. Um, <laughs> want to also <laughs> give too. a little shout out to. Uh, sorry, you have to follow this, uh, Laurel. But Laurel Robertson wrote us on our um, our, our page, uh, which I'm sure many of you are, are scrambling yeah. to write on right now mm-hmm. uh, after what you've just heard so far on the show. Uh, <laughs> <Dragon>. <laughs> what? Going, dear sir or madam, um, but uh, how dare you refer to? It was a very, it was a very nice uh, post of uh, compliments. Yes. about your Beatles uh, picks last week. Uh, so Didn't like this boy. Did not like this boy. Suggested and said, "What was it? It was a Paul McCartney sing sweetly song. What was the song? Uh, I'll follow the sun. I'll follow the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, Which you like quite a bit too. That was I do. That was a favorite song of yours from when we did that that album. Yes." Uh, and, uh, and, uh, she asked a question, which I thought I'd answered on the show already, but apparently I haven't. And I don't know if I can, but I will anyway. So, you know, there you go. This is something you get for actually listening to the podcast. This far. Uh, yeah. Uh, she was saying she enjoyed, uh, Sparks, uh, and, uh, and, and was asking, will there be more? And the answer to that is, uh, yes, there will be at least two more. We've gotten like a, a green light to do two more. That's really so, great. So, uh, congratulations. And, congratulations and, and I told Nina that and she went, what? Uh, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, uh, please. And she went, yeah, okay. So she's going to do that. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you're on board for coloring two more? Yeah. All right. Then the team is united again. Team carries We've on. got our, uh, Groucho, Harpo, and Chico. Uh, yes. Oh, I love that you pronounced that correctly. Oh. Groucho? Yes, yeah, so many people go Groucho. Has have there ever uh, in all the many 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 parodies on uh, Sesame Street ever been an Oscar the Groucho where he just crosses over and just talks ah. very Groucho-esque? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know though. Just put the glasses on and, uh, yeah, there and whatnot. Was, there, believe it or not, there was a point in my life where I stopped watching Sesame Street. I there's this thing called YouTube though where you can go and look mm. at the parodies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Huh. Interesting. All right. I'll, uh, I wonder. I wonder if that has or ever has happened. Anyway, you should, uh, uh, you should ch- 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 check it out. I should. Laurel, thank you so much uh, for asking though. And yes, uh, we will be uh, doing more. Uh, I'll tell you more about the dates when we can tell you about the dates. But we'll they will be in the future or doing less. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll do more after. We'll see. I'm not going to promise anything because this is a lot of work for uh, Nina's poor hand. <laughs> and and speaking of uh, having to draw things, uh, mm-hmm. we we did our free comic book day signing uh, last week. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and that was a lot of drawing of uh, little uh, little cat heads and uh, and whatnot at the Eighth Dimension Comic Store. So thank you very much, Nick, for uh, setting that up, and thanks for everyone who came out, which was a pretty consistent uh, crowd. We burned through quite a few of those uh, new comic book day books. I think they had uh, 60, and I ended up having to dip into my reserves, mm-hmm. and uh, we went farther than that. Then uh, we had like just a couple left. We took them over to kids' books afterwards and gave them to them to give away. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was a very, very did nice time. Did we pre-sign those ones or did we just give nope, them? Nope, we just gave them straight okay. out. And then we went mm-hmm. to Dairy Queen and I had a big mouthful of salt. <laughs> you made uh, the it mistake. It was very, very disturbing. You made the mistake of ordering something that's interesting because I feel like it was ahead of the cr- ahead of the curve a little bit in terms of that idea of salty and sweet where people have a lot of salted caramel in their ice mm-hmm. cream and things nowadays. And that was the peanut butter. Peanut- Buster Parfait, yeah. uh, which I've had one time. Which I, people often pronounce as a penis buster parfait by mistake. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Not Way peanut, more often than you think. Not peanut butter parfait, which I almost said. Oh, they, you could probably make you one of those. Mm. They also had one for a while that was, they had the pecan version, which was like, oh, man. Now you're cooking with gas, but they went back <laughs> to the peanut thing. Yes. But yeah, it's uh, very tasty. It's peanuts. It's a mm-hmm. uh, fudge. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh, but what I, I haven't had ice it. Ice cream. Don't forget the ice cream. I haven't had it in like 20 years, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, Forever. 
You haven't. You've never had it. No, you. Have oh, I have had it. Oh, okay. I, 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 when we when I was in college, the closest fast food place was Dairy Queen. Oh. So if we were like sorry to hear a, that a break from class, we'd yep. run up and get some onion rings and uh, something ice creamy, and occasionally I'd get a peanut butter parfait. What I didn't remember was yeah. Uh, when you get to the bottom of a peanut butter parfait, all the salt yes. somehow has sank. Which I don't understand how it can work its way through ice cream. I guess salt melts through ice, so maybe it melts through ice cream. Is that how it works? So the salt just goes and melts mm. uh, all the way down to the bottom. Yeah. So when you finally get to the very bottom, you take a big mouthful of just saltier than salt. Yeah. Like, it took me back. It was like, what the fuck is this? It's like poison. <laughs> yeah, Awful. So I remember your reaction. Oh, it was, it was the worst. It's pretty good. I didn't have any because, uh, we well, we'd eaten a big dinner mm-hmm. or a big lunch. Lunch dinnerish, lunchish. We went to uh, we went to Stormcrow uh, Pub. We had sapunch. Sapunch. We had dunch, which is okay. Dinch. Combination maybe, of lunch and dinch. supper. Dinch. You had your first supper of the evening. I had my yes, I was like a hobbit. I mm-hmm. had I had first supper, and then yeah, then Eve and I, Eve had dropped by after doing some tree planting to um to uh, get a ride with me to a, another dinner. We were going to the um, there was a hundred and tenth anniversary. Of the Scottish, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's like this. It's like a Scottish cultural society. They have a. They have their own, like they have their little, uh, you know, hall. The Scottish. And they and that hall's been around for 110 years. No, the society has. I think the hall was built sometime in the early 70s. Okay. As sort of a culmination of all their of all their hopes and dreams to have a place where they could host their Kayleys and have you know dinners and stuff. And that's where, when. Uh, so these were cousins of of Lisa's, my wife Lisa's, uh, but they were like fake cousins. So they're oh, so you're allowed you, to kiss them. You remember the days when when adults were distant enough from us that, they, that we either called them Mister and Mrs. Mm-hmm. or we called them Aunt and Uncle. Mm. We would never refer to them just by their first name. Right. Those days have gone out the door, and I don't know if that's good or bad, because I always feel like you can be. I always say that it's as a dad. You, I can be David to anyone, but I'm only a dad to two people in this world. You know. And so I don't, the idea of encouraging my kids to not call me dad and have them call me David is just weird to me. But I kind of feel the same way about being an uncle. I am an uncle. I'm a, I'm, once again, I'm a David to lots of people in the world, but I'm an uncle only to a few people in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and are, so those, even, are those people, people that you're actually an uncle to? Mm-hmm. So there's no one who calls you uncle that isn't real? No, because those, okay. and even, even my nephews don't call me uncle. They call me by first name. That was just, but their parents... That was her parents' way, and that's just how it came to be. And yeah. I, and I, but I don't like it. I, I would prefer to be an uncle. And I know that they think of me as an uncle, but they also they don't call me uncle. But anyway, when we grew up, we called close friends of our parents aunts and uncles. Anyway, I don't know if you did, but we yeah. we did, and obviously Lisa did. Yeah, and so in these our, in our neighborhood, absolutely. So these were cousins to her, and um, you know they would come out and stay at the farm in the summertime and things like that. So there, and they had Christmas together because neither of them had family in, in the lower mainland. So neither family. So they would just get together and have a family Christmas together as two pretend families right. uh, or real families, but pretend re- related families. And then, um, so anyway, so they were involved with this whole Scottish thing. And I remember Lisa's uncle would like, if we were, he was over or they were over for like a dinner, he would do a, a, a Gaelic grace, which lasts about 15 minutes. Oh, wow. I would guesstimate. Okay. Maybe it's just it seemed that long because you don't know the words just, that are being said. And just trying to remember it's just someone kind of going, Just like, yep. Don't you think by that oh, point, man. 15 minutes deep, God's going, all right. <laughs> 
You're welcome. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Your gratitude is appreciated. The food has gone cold. Oh. If you were really grateful for it, you would have eaten it while it was hot. Yes. So, uh, so yes. Yeah. So they were having uh, the celebration. I mean, we've done this for many years. We would go to the Kalian dance, uh, some of the dances and the Dashing Gay Lieutenant, or whatever it's called. Oh, the guy Dashing Gay Sergeant, I think, actually, the name of the dance. Or Stripping the Willow and, and the Virginia sexy. Reel. Oh, all sound very sexy mm. now that you're saying all mm. these names. And it's funny, like when we were in high school, as part of our gym modules, we had to take dance. That was a, one of the one of two modules we had to take. We had to take the the phys ed, like the actual like fitness classes, right. and then we had to take a dance module. And you could either do social dance or you could do country dances. Social dance was like learning the tango, the yeah. cha cha, the foxtrot, the jive, the sw yeah. swing dancing, and whatnot, which I took because I thought, well, that's more useful. Mm -hmm. In my life, I will be doing plenty of foxtrotting and, and cha-chawing. And I did not take... And I also kind of thought, I'm not a hick. I don't take a bunch of country dances. Do-si-doing and... Right. Of, and there was do. a... there. Okay. Which and, did you do? Okay. you had to do this too. Did I? I don't think I had a choice. Uh, but I do remember square dancing, which I've since found out had a racial component to it that was not great uh, that uh, I'll find you an article about and put up. Uh, but there's mm. there's some real bad things about the the reason that there was square dancing in every fucking school in North America. It wasn't great. Oh yeah. Uh, and so, um, oh, that's interesting. I yeah, mean, I would have just thought it's just part of our culture yeah, because yeah. what's interesting about we all we all thought that. Then uh, then I looked at uh, it was a it was a thing that was done on one of those. Uh, uh, Adam Runes everything I think you're familiar mm -hmm. with those mm -hmm. and they they broke down I, uh, I believe it was on one of those but it, yeah mm -hmm. they broke down like oh and here's the reason it was this and it was basically to stop black music it was like they wanted to stop this so we're going to do this and we're going to do this this thing as well oh okay some, some oh okay stuff. I can I can yeah. see that I can see why they would continue to push it but uh, but in terms of usefulness and now like I didn't take the uh, I didn't learn to do -si do and all that sort of stuff but can you jive I really you know I was a dangerous person to dance with I was all elbows. There's girls in that who probably still haven't got up the concussions. They suffered dancing with me in that in that course. But um, what's interesting is I have not cha cha or, or fox trotted, but I have do si doed. Mm -hmm. I have not alamate or alamand or whatever you do, but I have done you know other things because that's basically what Scottish dancing is is country dancing. Sure. It's like it's the progenitor of, of square dancing basically. Like all those traditions were brought to America by the Scots or Irish, and they carried on with their country dancing. And if you watch, and so when you watch a movie like um, Pride and Prejudice, when they're doing their dances, they should be doing country dances. They should be doing like square kind of dance. And they do often. Like sometimes they'll have them doing like very slow, ornate dances, which I don't think is accurate. I think that should be later on. Mm -hmm. Like things like waltzing and stuff like that were later and very daring things that came later on in, in the, although we did waltz in one of the dances. But anyway, so yeah, we had a nice dinner, like a buffet. And then there were some very boring speeches, which I didn't listen to, because fortunately I had I brought a bag that had a crossword puzzle in it. So I was saying crossword puzzle and not listening to the, the thing. But then they had some dancing, so we did a little bit of dancing. But unfortunately, and this is terrible, and this is what happens when you have a 110 years celebration, is this uh, little old woman who had actually been dancing in a group had a heart attack. Oh, no. During the thing and oh, died. No. Oh, no. I know. Like We left when the police, or not police, when the ambulance was, came yeah. and started working on her. We're just like, well, like even if whatever, like this is just a spoiled evening, yeah. so we would just let's just clear out of here and leave these, let these guys work. Um, so we left, but yeah, it was sad because you know, I mean, we have to go in life, and that's a sad part of it. But I feel like, well, at least she had fun. She had just been dancing and enjoying herself and mm -hmm. doing something that obviously she loved to do, dancing these old Scottish dances, which mm -hmm. are part of her heritage and something that she loved to celebrate. 
And then she passed away, which is sad, but inevitable. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was kind of a, a downer ending, too. And then we had brought uh, a friend of Lisa's had come with us, and her son had died of heart failure. And so that was a little too close to home for her in that mm-hmm. situation. So that's the other reason that we left as well, just to let's get out of here. I was just reading uh, Ty Templeton, who's a guest on our show and uh, mm-hmm. pal. Uh, he was he uh, likes Sparks? about, uh, yeah, he wrote a really nice, uh, he been, he really liked Sparks and he wrote about that on his page. Actually, coincidentally, I think on the same page as, uh, that I'm going to, the story I'm about to tell you, mm. which was how, uh, he had a heart attack, I think about three years ago yeah. and was technically dead for quite a period mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he, he spins a good yarn. So let's just sure. say, yeah, that, um, but He's yeah, dead he, for two days. He, he, <laughs> that's right. They worked on him for two days. That's right. And he went, it was the weekend. I'll never get the ba- that back. I was like, yeah, well, no. Uh, but he's doing he's doing well. Two pages behind. Yeah, he's doing well now. Yeah. Uh, but he said, like, uh, when when he the day he had his heart attack, yeah. the food that he ate. Are you familiar with what he ate right before he had a heart attack? No. The food he had before he had a heart attack mm-hmm. was some um, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I made a joke about Kentucky Fried Chicken the other day. Can I just say it quickly? Sure, please. Some, some were talking about eating there. I said, I no longer eat there because I figured out the recipe. Just take a bucket of grease and drop a chicken bone in it. Go on. Would you like to hear my uh, my uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken recipe? Sure. My KFC recipe is if if they uh, if they uh, put a punch in the face on the menu for ninety nine cents, people would order it. <laughs> yes, they would. Yeah, they would. Oh, ninety nine cents. Well, you can't say no. There you go. <laughs> So, uh, the day that he had his heart attack, the last meal that he had before was Kentucky Fried Chicken, which coincidentally, he mentions, is the most requested last meal of prisoners who are about to be executed. Hmm. It's Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, wow, that's amazing. We went, like, yeah, it was almost my last meal, too. Had it. Uh, had my heart attack. And so now he eats, like, more vegetables mm. and this and doesn't eat fast food and doesn't eat at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Except. Mm. Except. Once a year, mm. uh, on the day of his heart attack, uh-huh. he, he has it just to taunt death, he says. Oh, yeah, okay. So that was, okay. like, I believe the last week, last weekend he, mm-hmm. he had his Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. Nothing like taunting the inevitable. Mm-hmm. This will never happen to me. <laughs> well, no. It's, he knows it will happen to him, and yes. that's why you taunt the, uh, yeah, taunt the inevitable. True. I guess that's true. I liked something that Mark Maron said when he came back from Scotland, which is he said, those people know they're going to die. <laughs> yep. Which I think Californians don't realize it's going to happen to them. America is a very young country, and I think it believes that things are going to be the way it is forever. Mm. That's just a feeling they've got. Yeah. I think that's deep in like, it's we're, we're, we're number one. We're always going to be number one. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're always going to be on top. And I know things look like they're getting bad, yeah. but they're going to be fine. At the base baseline is we're still, no matter what, we're going to be number one and things are going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, whereas Europe has been through enough stuff where they were number one, are no longer number one, yeah. that they're like, ah. And so, you know, they're they're also, you know, bigoted, but in a very different way. Uh, it's still bigotry comes with the same thing, but they're bigoted in a different way. Uh, but America and, uh, and and Europe is like, oh, okay, so there's a little bit of humbleness there. Mm. Even though they call themselves Great Britain. Uh, you would think. <laughs> You would think, they don't, but they, they don't still, mean it. they know. They can still, they've left some they of the rubble behind, you can still see it from World War II. Mm. They know shit goes down, so they're, mm, they, 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 they know. And I think Canada, mm. uh, we, 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 we hope 
that things will stay generally the, the, the way they are. <laughs> but we've got enough Europe in us that we realize that they probably, uh, they maybe probably that, won't. Maybe so just uh, we stand on guard uh, for many <laughs> things. Be very, very careful. And yeah. again, that's just a broad generalization. That was, you painted with a giant brush. I always think like when think when people talk about like, how did Trump happen? It's like people, I, I think it only happens if you've got extreme confidence that you can, uh, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. What's the worst that could yeah, happen? Yeah, yeah. And and a country that goes, what's the worst that could happen? Isn't a country where the worst has happened yet? Mm. You know, whereas Europe has gone. Well, let me tell you, we've uh, <laughs> we're saying that. Yeah, we know, we know it. So they they will not they will not say that. You say that, but then they do strange things like Brexit. They do they do Brexit, but I don't think yeah. I think they do Brexit out of a, a different kind of fear, mm. you know, and a different kind of anger. Uh, but, yeah, it's probably all coming generally from the same place. Oh, oh, I think so. Oh, Brexit. Gosh darn it. It's like whenever I watch, one of my favorite shows to watch is Travel Man with uh, Richard Iotti. Iotti? Sure. I think. Uh, where he goes with another comedian and they travel around. And they, you know, they they go to some place that's like, you know, it's just beautiful. It's like it's Greece, and now we're going to be in Turkey. We're going to be in all these places. And then they mention like it's a one-hour flight from, mm-hmm. from London. Yeah. Just like my God, if you lived in if you lived in England, yes, why wouldn't you be like? And it's a cheap flight too. Well, why wouldn't that. you just be like, what's that? I said you say that, but I do say that. I say it's, it's a amazing cheap, that it's a cheap flight to go to like Greece from uh, from 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 England. You know, it, it is. Blew, and, it blew her mind when we were there, and like her aunt and uncle had never been to London. Oh, so you're not saying I'm wrong about prices? No, I'm not you're saying, saying wrong. I'm wrong about people. I'm not saying you're wrong about that. I'm just saying that it's amazing how how you know look area bound they are. I don't want to say that they never leave their house, but they just how how you know bound they are to the region. Yeah, and they're just unwilling to to leave, and it's scary to them the idea of going to London. Like like when we would we're visiting, and we would drive into London. That it seemed insane to them that you would drive to London. Like, wait, what? Where are you gonna? Where are you gonna park? And just, imagine there's parking there because they uh, people have cars there. Yeah, we didn't. We we always found parking. Of course, we would go very early. Like we would plan, make you know, plan plan ahead if you're gonna do these things. Yeah, it's my advice. Plan ahead. But yeah, it was. I mean, we were there and during the Olympics, we were parking in London. There was no problem. Yeah. Um, but you know, to them, it just seemed crazy. But it's kind of the same. Like if you talk to someone from the interior, they. To them, Vancouver is a terrifying place. Yeah. Because all your news that you get about it is bad. Well, that was also, like, when I was in high school, my sister Lee, who's two years younger than me, I would go I would go to Vancouver every day. Mm-hmm. And she, she went to Vancouver once, saw a punk rocker, and didn't go back for a year. Like, it was just terrifying <laughs> to her. It was just like, well, they're yeah. going to kill us. Yeah. And it's like, no, they're not going to kill you. Yeah. You know? And so she'd hang around in Wally Exchange. I'm like, they're going to kill you. <laughs> they're bored. They're that bored. The boring. one who's expressing themselves isn't going to kill kill you. <laughs> yeah. They're, they already got their business. Mm-hmm. But they are, you know, obviously, probably the punk rocker of the mm-hmm. time was mm-hmm. going, what are you looking at with the mohawk that's two feet in the, in the air? Yeah, yeah. 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 It well, seems ha- like a thing like a peacock would be funny to say. It's just like, what are you looking at? Only a giant, beautiful fan tail that you've like got up. <sighs> Keep walking. I was so happy that when Mary got her life, driver's license, the first thing that they, the girls did was drive to Vancouver. They got hopelessly lost, but they drove to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Had some fun. Because getting hopelessly lost is part of the fun. It really is. Yeah, it's always fun. That's one of the most important things that yeah I th- is is I think like a, a little bit of a danger now is there's less getting lost because you've got so many ways of mm. getting unlost. Yeah, that you don't you you don't have the, those problem solving skills and maybe it's not a problem so you don't need those problem solving skills. But oh, yeah, uh, I think, but I think it's good yeah. for you to get lost and then figure out uh, mm-hmm. your way uh, out of it. Yeah, or yeah, just end up in a 
terrible situation that you just kind of you you blender through it like yeah. us you know having taking a bus halfway home and then you just got to figure out what are you gonna do now because yeah. there's no more buses there's no way to get home well let's walk i guess yeah we just <laughs> wanted to figure out how to walk home and it was a very long walk yeah uh yeah I'm sorry. I'm just remembering us too, also being in Stanley Park at one point, and then just getting in way <laughs> over our heads. And like, uh, it's like, how can we be lost in this park? It's like, it's a big park, but it it's not big. that big a park. Yeah, yeah. But we convinced ourselves that someone was following us, so we were doing the thing. Where we're like, okay, we're gonna walk three steps, then we're gonna stop, we're gonna listen. <laughs> and of course, of course, if you do that, you're gonna hear sounds because yes. it's the woods and things move in the woods. Yeah. But now we're like, well, we're about to be murdered. <laughs> So we're planning for like which one of us is going to get murdered first, and what have you. Yeah. You run to the left, I'll run to the right. You know, yeah, inter- interesting. Like I know, to, like tomorrow, it's going to be a little weird for me because uh, I'm. Well, here's here's one of the reasons it's weird. I'm going to I'm going to Toronto, and I'm going to Toronto. You're leaving tomorrow for Toronto. I'm leaving tomorrow morning for Toronto. Cool. Um, it's uh, it's my it's my anniversary tomorrow. We're celebrating it tonight. Uh, my 12th anniversary with my wife. We've been together for uh, 18 years, but uh, married for 12. You were one of my best men. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Ken. Not on me you're being your best man, but congratulations. Thank you. And the best, man, years. The best man anniversary is next next week because uh, <laughs> we had the reception a, a, a week after. But it's the first time in probably, I'm going to say, more than 12 years that I've flown on my own. Wow. Yeah, because she's really wow. good at all that stuff, right? Mm, mm. So, you know, she gets all the stuff together and knows what she's doing. It's like it's the first time I've been in, a, in an airport on my own. And it's uh, it's interesting. I, I don't have a credit card for one thing. I got a business card, but uh, it's got it's got her name on it for technical reasons that are annoying right now. And we've been <laughs> trying to deal with TD Canada Trust for like three fucking weeks. And they're every day they're like, oh, don't, don't get back to us at all. It's like, fuck. Oh, yeah, oh. really annoying. So I'm going, I'm going there sans credit card, which is also like, this is fun. Um, <laughs> but I know something's going to fuck up. Yeah. Oh, it's going to, it's going to fuck up. For sure. Right. Yeah. There's no way it's not going to fuck up. Yeah. Uh, and please, please fuck up because we need some. Oh, for the please don't, here. please don't say this that. This is, uh, you know, we need some show content. Here are elements of the keep thing. It, keep it real. Yeah, here are elements so far that have been like the, uh, so it's just like constantly figure, like, uh, I want to get some, some books to sell while I'm there. Yeah. So, you know, went through this thing with my editor about like, uh, so how do I get these books? Oh, you just contact this person. Well, that's great. So I contacted that person. That person's like, what? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, no, sorry, not that person. This person. Oh, okay, very good. Then this person is the, the person. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, okay, good. So give me all your information. All right, I'm going to give you all my information. I'm going to need this obscure tax number from your business. Oh, okay. We got to find some forms. Find forms, find forms. Here's all the forms. Okay, I'm going to need them in this format. Okay, fine. Okay, get all that format. And then after all that said and done, like about two days later, oh, yeah, 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 we can't ship from America to Canada. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, they can ship comps, but they can't ship ones that I'm going to sell. Oh, okay. Which is like, well, why dance for all the fucking information? But okay, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So they're like, you got to talk to the Canadian person. All oh. Right, great. So talk to the Canadian person. Yeah. Contact the Canadian person. Uh, they're on vacation. Uh, so I got to talk to this other person who's subbing for this other person. Now they got to get this special information. So blah, blah, blah. So it was yeah. like, by this point, it was getting so tight that I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you can't send them here. And then yeah, yeah. I was like, am I going to... 
so so they're they're uh, shipping them, which actually makes sense now. Basically, from Toronto to Toronto. Yeah, yeah, straight to the hotel. Straight to the hotel. That's but I've good. never had anything shipped to a hotel before, mm. so I don't know. Like, is there a? They the, know what's going. Is on there the a hotel. fee for holding? And now they've shipped them there a day before I'm there. Mm. Does that matter? No. Okay, all this stuff is like new to me. That's good. So they've shipped. It's they've, good they're there before you. Now there. here's the other thing. Yeah, is like uh, I'm not sure like. How? Because I've ordered a hundred, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I'm not sure how much that is. Like not as in money. I've, I know how much money that is. And let me just say, whew. but anyway, well, let me just a, point, let me just tell you right now. Yeah, it's a hundred books. Thank you very much. In a couple of boxes, You're and it won't, it's not going to be that much. I know it's three boxes. Okay, three boxes. But I don't know how big the boxes are, mm-hmm. and again, I don't know how far the con is really from the hotel. I hear it's not that far, but I've got to get these all there mm-hmm. on my own. Yeah, because uh, meeting Nina like later on in the and she's showing up a little bit later for the con, so I'm like, okay, I got to get these to there. What else do I need? Okay, this is it. I'm doing all the math in my head. I'm like, oh, this could all be fucks up, and then I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to the hotel. Wait, they're going to need those that that thing where they're like, hey. You got a credit card for incidentals. And I'm going to go, no. So I'm like, what's the options? And so I've been running by that like, uh, oh, can you do debit? It's like, yes, we can do debit. And the last time I did this with debit, mm-hmm. they went, yeah, we need a card that's got at least $2,000 on it. I'm like, what? Why do you need, what, what am I doing with $2,000 expenses? What the <laughs> fuck is that? Well, yeah. it turns out now it's 150 which isn't bad. So oh, I've okay. got to basically like mm. make sure there's 150 on there just to, uh. yeah. So it's like all this stuff. Also, the last time I was in Toronto, uh, before, uh, uh, I tried taking a cab from the airport and was told, oh no, you do, the, the rate is not, uh, there's not a meter thing. It's a system and it's all this other bullshit. Mm. And then I'm told, no, you should, you should uh, hire a car. Like, well, what's that mean? Well, you just said a term that makes no sense. Hire a car. What's, what's that mean? I just like want to get out of the airport. Is there, is there a cab stand there? Hello, cab. Can you take me to a big hotel in Toronto? Yeah. This should be, well, of course. That's most of what we do. Yeah, yeah. That's in fact the only reason I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking. <laughs> right on the nose. That's that's what I do. Uh, yeah. Would you like cash for that? Yes, sir. Cash is dandy. But it's like hire a car. I don't fucking know. And that's just the start. <laughs> that's just the start. We'll see what the fuck. And then yeah. I don't know how many books we're gonna sell. Mm. So I've left myself a lot of time on Monday to get to a post office and mail these books yeah. back to me. But I don't. You're, I don't know. You're gonna so, sell out. I'm gonna. I hope. Well, it'll be nice. You're gonna sell out. Well, this was the thing. I asked Nina, like, what she thought, how many books she yeah. would bring? Because I don't know. And she was like, I don't know. I was like, what do you think? And she went like, I don't know, 50? I'm like, 50? Oh, That's seems, not enough. Seems low. You're at, uh, you're at TCAF. I know. It's big. You're going to sell them all. I don't know. No, yeah, you're just going to sell them all. I don't know. Believe me. I'm telling you right know. now. I don't know. You guys are going to be busy as heck. So what you're saying is if we don't sell them all, you'll buy the remainders. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Well, if you don't sell them all, we're going to have some for VanCaf. That'll be nice, that's too. That's the thing, yeah. Well, this is the other thing. Or you're going to have to go through another shit show to get some for VanCaf. I may have to go through another shit show to get that, right. Because, like, because uh, I will need some. Well, we'll see. So, I, I don't know. I'll get worrying about I'll get worrying about VanCaf later. I'll mm-hmm. get worried about VanCaf. Monday, I'll get worried about VanCaf because I'll know how many we sold at the con and how many I'm bringing back. And then I'll, I'll say to them, hey, can I get some more? And they'll go, oh, that person's on vacation. You got to talk to this person. <laughs> What? But their number is in Europe. Because originally what they did was was I was told, oh, all you have to do is call uh, 1-800-Scholastic. We make this really easy for you. Well, that does sound easy, calling 1-800-Scholastic. Uh-huh. Except that's too many numbers. <laughs> What's that mean, 1-800-Scholastic? How many of those are bullshit numbers they don't need? What's that mean? And then I call, then I call it, and it's like, oh, you know, you can't make a 1-800 number from Canada. Nope, didn't know that. Okay, great. And then, then, and so on and so forth. Anyway, what I'm saying is I'm nervous about tomorrow 
and uh, missing my anniversary with my uh, with my wife. Uh, so uh, yeah, please so please come and say hi. Yeah, please drop by and see Ian, who's apparently going to be a nervous mess. And I'll be telling you about stories of my ner- nervous mm-hmm. mess next week and in person if you come to Bandcamp. Yeah, or, if, or in person if you come to TCAF. He can also tell you his nervous stories there. Now, David. Ian has many nervous stories So to many tell nervous you. stories. I just want to say one thing before. I, oh. I know you are moving the show in a particular direction. Oh, I don't know if you, you want to talk sports. Sure. Is that what you want to talk about? No, no. I, want to, I wanted to announce something about that we have coming up that's a new thing. Oh, oh, okay. Well, go ahead then. Go ahead. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've been talking for a while about a spinoff podcast. and We've never uh, done this before. We're kind of nervous. And, uh, and, and that's right. And Dave... Uh, Dave uh, it's called the Sidecast, by the and, way. And I took a little nap to think about it, and Dave uh, glued a dollar bill to my mouth and said, <laughs> uh, put your money where your mouth is. Like, what? Oh, I get it. That's now, weird. How do I get this dollar bill off my mouth? I don't know. I use crazy glue. Also, it was weird having a dollar bill being Canada mm-hmm. where we don't really have those anymore. Yeah. So uh, many of you have been saying, like, hey, could you do another uh, Beatles uh, podcast focusing on uh, wings? I don't know. Some of you probably. <laughs> other people have gone, like, how about one about chicken wings? You guys seem to like going out to eat at, like, Wet Spot. I'm like, that's also a, that's also a good point, sir. How about uh, Asterix, some of you have said, because you did the t- one Tintin one. One of you has said. Yeah, one of you has said. And, uh, you know, and other people have said other things. So uh, here's, what, uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to probably make this show every two weeks. For sure. Okay, we've just locked it down that it's a for sure. Well, this no, is very, I just mean no less than. than okay, that's two, very uh, very cocky. Yes. Very cocky, going like we're going to keep that schedule for sure. Oh yeah, um, we'll do that. But we're going to be do we're going to be focusing on uh, the Marx Brothers movies. Yes, because I love the Marx Brothers. I have seen some of them. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of them in theaters. I'm familiar with them culturally. I'm familiar with them more from seeing large clips of them. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Groucho Marx. I've read. Books of his, mm-hmm. uh, enjoy his work. Uh, so we're going to go as we do, uh, chronologically. Oh, are we? Or what, what are we doing? Are we doing it chronologically? I think that's the best way. Okay, because you, you were thinking of a separate uh, thing that we're, we might have been doing. Are we, are we going to go chronologically? I think we'll go chronologically, yeah. Okay, fair enough. For sure. Uh, so uh, we're going we're gonna to do that. Uh, and we're starting uh, next time with uh, The Coconuts. So yeah. I have now watched that. I've got I've got opinions. Dave is Good. going keep them to yourself. Yeah, keep them to yourself. Talk we'll talk about later. it in the show. But uh, yeah, well, it'll be the, our it'll be our usual mix of of uh, context mm-hmm. and opinion. And I think I think the I think the Marx Brothers movies are such a thing that they can that they're they're not perfect. And so I think that you know to look at them with a critical eye is I think will be interesting. Because the the previous two things we've done, we've done completely Beatles, which mm-hmm. you thought, which you have well, said, we, we still were critical about them. We're critical, but you your your feeling, as you said in a later episode, was uh, even uh, it's like all even bad pizza is good pizza. <laughs> yeah, you know, there you, you go. That's you, right. You enjoy, even if it's not great, it's the Beatles, and you, yeah, you I enjoy, it. It. I love it all. Yeah, you love it all. Yeah, is the same. Did you feel the same way about Tintin when we did that? Oh yeah. The, so even weak, the weakest Tintin is still strong. I still love it. Yeah, you still love it. Yeah. Okay, very good. And yeah. you do not have that feeling about the Marx Brothers. Or well, do let's you? see, because you know it's funny. I when I say I love the Marx Brothers, I love, I love, love, love three movies by the Marx Brothers a lot. To the point where you've had posters of them in your room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had duck soup on my wall, and I had weirdly I had uh, yeah I had no I had animal crackers also, um, but. It's been a long time since I saw all any of their movies. This, this the box set that I lent you so you could watch the coconuts was actually we lent to someone else to watch and they didn't return it for like five years. So it, which is fine. I mean, it takes a while to watch movies, but but it's just like that. So I haven't like 
open this up for a long time when I uh, when I watched the Coconuts a little while ago. That's probably the first time in a decade that I watched a, any Marx Brothers films, and there's films by them I haven't only seen once and as a kid. So yeah, we saw we saw something, and I'm forgetting what it was. But we saw one at I think the Caprice Theater. Uh, you was, and I, I believe so. We yeah. saw the Ridge. We saw one. We at saw the we, we saw Day at the Races and uh, and I, we saw Day at the Races. At, okay, I'm, and it was I'm a terrible mistaking. print. It was it, right. it was missing it was missing parts of the movie and yeah, it was really a bad experience. It was interesting. It was interesting watching it with people though, for mm-hmm. sure. And it's yeah. a, it's a weird experience watching them at least the first one without uh, people laughing because there's mm. spaces definitely for that. But we'll get yeah, more yeah. to that as as, sure. as we go along. Sure. Uh, but if you've got opinions about uh, the Marx Brothers. Uh, we'll be, well, again, we'll be doing what we normally do, which is like on our page, there'll be like a separate area for, mm-hmm. for that. Yep. And if you didn't know there's a separate area for completely Beatles and totally Tintin, go check it out again. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what we do. That's and, uh, and we'll be, and we'll be doing that. We will not be, we will not be stopping this podcast while we do that podcast. We will just be burdening ourselves with one more podcast. <laughs> this will be, yeah. uh, another sidecast from, and, Saturday. uh, when that does start, if you can, uh, give us some reviews or whatever online, that will help, mm. uh, boost the, boost the numbers a little bit and uh interestingly i've heard that it takes longer to get on itunes now than it used to just because it's there's been such an explosion in of interest in podcasts and podcasting but they're all now crime podcasts well yeah because of serial basically because of serial coming out uh podcasting has taken off in a huge way it hasn't damn you male chimp it hasn't helped us (laughs) it hasn't helped us believe me but it certainly caused so i think it takes longer to get onto itunes now like when we first started sneaky dragon Mm -hmm. Uh, I was up all night editing the show because I wanted to. We wanted to get it out for a particular day, and I can't remember what it was now. And Guy Fox Day. Guy Fox Day. To, it's, it's the holiday we yeah. celebrate the most. Remember, remember the sixth of November. Is that when it was? Because I, I always forget that. I don't remember either. That's yeah, terrible. I don't know it was November, but anyway. Remember the remember the November. <laughs> remember, remember. <laughs> uh, so then, but I sent off like at six in the morning. I sent off the the. Like the request to iTunes to get onto iTunes. And that was like 6.30 in the morning because I'd been up all night. Yeah. And then I was at work because uh, I had to go to work after the thing was done. Uh, so I hadn't slept at all. I just went to work. And then at 11.30, they messaged me and said, oh, your, your, your uh, podcast has been accepted. And I was like, oh, that doesn't take very long at all. And it was the same with uh, Completely Beatles. But now apparently it takes like a month or more for them oh, to approve the show. So okay. it's just because there's so many more shows. So uh, what will happen then? We'll wait for that to be approved and then we'll put them up or will we put them up and they'll be on iTunes later? Like, I guess that's can, what we'll do, yeah. Listen, so we're not putting them up early on our website. We'll put them up early on our website. We will then, put them up yeah, early on yeah. our website. So yeah. if you want to check them out first, yeah. first to the post, uh, <laughs> check them out on our website. We'll see. I mean, maybe because we are a long-time iTunes like we've been on there for a long time, they might we might get jump the queue. I don't know. Okay. I hope so. That's what I hope they'll do. All right. My my advice isn't to use the term queue because they'll think you're British. What's wrong with what's wrong saying? We got to be really Canadian here. Queue is Canadian. Oh. What, right. what do you think is Canadian lineup? Yeah. Well, you say lineup, but I mean queue is also a. All right. Next time you're like uh, lining up for something at yeah. a concert, go. Excuse me. Is this the queue? Mm-hmm. See how that goes. Yeah. People will say yes. So this is the queue for the tickets or whatever. Yeah. Yes, they will. They'll totally know what I mean. They sure. Okay. You don't you think ask so? Where the loo is? Well, I'm not going to ask where the loo is. Take a lift. The th- <laughs> come from your flat tonight. Okay, you are now Did you stretching learn about it. This on telly? You're stretching it. Okay. But were you were you sitting on the settee watching the telly? Are you saying I spent too much time in England and have adopted the word queue, which I think is a better word than lineup? It is. So's loo. Frankly, mm. I got to go use the loo. That's okay. It sounds nice. 
instead of I got to go use the and now we're into this mess of do I say bathroom? That sounds dumb. Washroom? Do I say washroom? Oh wait, is that American or Canadian? Where's the restroom? <laughs> Fucking hell! What is it? I think what wash. Is it? I think washroom is Canadian. I know you don't know though, right? I don't know and that. you should. You're right. I really should. It's time we. It's time yeah, we where are you going to rest? It's time we did another wash? exploration of Canadian yeah. slang. Go take a bath. Lou, where's the goddamn Lou? <laughs> yeah. You know, this is, I'm, I'm abrupt, abruptly changing the subject. Sure. Um, take a drink of water while you abruptly yeah, do that. change. Uh, you know that, I, that Lisa and I love to go down to Bellingham, to a little movie theater down there, called the Pickford uh, Cinemas? Something like that. Pickford Theater. Or something. Anyway, called the Pickford. That's okay. what I think of it as. It's an old-fashioned, old but, newly, but newly refurbished movie theater in the heart of Bellingham, the heart of old part of Bellingham. Used to be known for its porno theaters. Really? Bellingham, yeah. I think you're thinking of Blaine. Oh, sorry, Blaine. My mistake. <laughs> Bellingham was too far. Bellingham is where you get free ham. No one wants to drive that far to Underneath masturbate. the giant bell. Oh, really? Yep. Free ham. Yeah, they ring the bell like three times a day, and then if you run there, you get free ham. But you got to be one of the first people. I think you're making that up. Okay. You tra- tell me why they named it that. Then. Oh, I see. I see what you did there. And the other thing they got in Bellingham the is, is uh, exactly. Ryan Styles Improv Theater. That's which, right. The upfront. And this is this. Let me tell you, this is what happens when people go to that. Mm. They go like, "Oh, it's just it's an improv theater. Oh, all right, let's go see an improv show. Great." They go inside and they're like, "This is Ryan Styles Theater." Yeah. <laughs> Why is Ryan Styles in Bellingham? Oh, he just lives here. No, he doesn't. He can't possibly live here. That makes no sense. Yeah. What are you saying? This is craziness. And then he then he shows up. What? And they lose their minds. They don't understand. It's a lovely town. It's a very lovely town. Uh, parts of it are just ugly as hell, but there's parts of it are just beautiful. They have a nice uh, little comic store there. They have some comic book stores. They have a great record store down there. Good donut uh, shop. Everyday Music. Um, they have Henderson's Books, which is just a remarkably good bookstore. Unfortunately, Michael's Books, which was across the street, has now closed, I noticed, when I was down there a little while ago. How's Henderson feel about that? I probably is happy because mm, the competition, competition's gone, but, you know, competition makes for... And more interesting. Then I found good books at both place, both places, but uh, yeah. But Henderson's is a great bookstore, and yeah, it's a it's a great town to go to. And then there's the two theaters, the Pickford and the Limelight. The Limelight is probably seats a hundred. The Pickford is a bit bit more and has two theaters in it. But they're both of them are not huge, and and they're licensed. If that means anything to you, they no longer have the uh, the movie theater at the Bellis Fair Mall, right? That's that has closed down. Okay. But that wasn't like no, but that was your mainstream movie. theater. That was your mainstream movie theater. But I mean, there are other mainstream movie theaters there, and you can drive a half an hour down into the valley and go go to the movie theaters down there if you want. But gross. But anyway, I think there is some <laughs> gross. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. Driving to a valley, um, they uh, there's a flood you'll drown. Ah, that's true. And it's a rainy area. But that's down down there is where Kevin Tai lives from Emergency. He lives in Cedra Woolley. So Not to go. be confused with the guy behind all the Marvel movies. Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige. <laughs> Different than Kevin Tai. Uh, so actually the Upfront Theater advertises during during the run up to the movie, they have a little kind of like a little cycle of ads for different places for getting your teeth fixed and Real estate like brokers and local stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, Kevin uh, Kevin Tige, Yeah. Uh, those of you out there who are younger might also know him from. Well, this isn't younger. Uh, <laughs> it's not much younger. Uh, from but Barney also, Miller. He's the villain yeah. in Roadhouse. Okay. He's also uh, very very. He's current. also the mean dad uh, in uh, in Lost. Good for him. Yeah. The guy I'm works. Glad he kept working. Oh, he's also the mean, mean dad in Freaks and Geeks. Oh. He's a good mean dad. He's obviously he's got typecast after his after time being the sweet dad as in being a friendly guy. Yeah, and was like, hey, what if you're a son of a bitch? I love it. And then uh, I'm an actor. Off to the races, I can play that. I can do whatever you want me to do. 
So you're complaining about this theater. I'm not complaining. Floors, I love, too I love that theater. Because, I mean, it's probably about the same distance for us to drive from our house into Vancouver to go to see this movie I wanted to see, which was playing at the park. Which you've told to border guards, and they've gone, really? Sounds suspicious. But it's much. It's a much nicer drive to drive down to Bellingham. Sure. It's a much better theater. Okay. The parking's free mm-hmm. on in the evenings, on Sundays anyway. And so, yeah, it's good all around. And so we went and saw uh, Lean on Pete, the movie's called. Oh, all right. And it was a very good film. What's I it highly about? recommend it. It's about uh, a young boy who's living in a very broken home, uh, in a very unsafe life, uh, with a, da- a very irresponsible father, uh, uh, no longer their mother. Is it an American movie? It's an American film, but it's directed by a British director who has done some other movies that, if I can remember what they were, you may have, you may know of them. But he's done some other movies that people have liked. Right. Because it was interesting. When the film started, I like I, th- I thought it was an American movie. So I'm like, this is an American movie. And then it started, it had Film 4, was one of the production companies. I'm like, well, this is a British production. And then it's like BFI, British Film Institute. I'm like, what the hey? And then it was made with uh, British uh, lotto money. I'm like, well, I thought this was an American movie. This is weird. But then it was an American-based yeah. film. But the, I think his name is Andrew Hay, H-A-I-G-H. He was the writer director of the film and it's it, but he was adapting a novel that was written by a guy i think his name is willie something or other and he is in a was or is in a band called richmond fontaine which is one of those americana bands that all their songs are kind of sad sounding you're like no melody great um but uh, a lot of people like that stuff let's put it on and feel sad that's fine if you like emotion sad songs seem so much they seem to appeal to people um so yeah he wrote this novel and it's very good so it's about this boy and uh he and oh the guy who played the the kid who played the so good in the movie like his reactions like just so natural it is a really good actor and uh he uh he kind of he finds that where they're living he they've moved from spokane to to portland his father's just kind of left he's a shiftless guy you know and just kind of moving around and and uh and this boy discovers this racetrack as near as where he lives and then he becomes fascinated by it and he gets a job working uh sort of a helper for this for this um this uh, you know horse horse owner yeah. played by steve buscemi who also is great in the movie and uh yeah it's just a great a gr- just it was really interesting to watch that just all the kind of sordidness of the horse racing that that sort of low-end horse racing sure. world and it had um it had an, another actress I, I like a lot chloe savigny oh yeah, yeah. playing a jockey uh, and she was very good in it. Like it's just so, it's just like really well done uh, movie. And and I don't want to give away too much, but it's just a great film about. And Lisa and I were talking when we were driving home, and Lisa said an inter- interesting thing, which is that horses are incredibly sympath, like empathetic animals for humans, and partly because they can they can actually match our heart rate. Like their their heart rate will match our heart rate. That's how close they'll become. They'll come to us. Wow. And so it's interesting in this movie. Like he meets this horse whose name is lean on pete he's a racehorse so he has one of those weird racehorse names and this boy is able to change his life because of this horse and there's a tragic element to it but but it's still it's a movie very hopeful film and it's uh, just yeah it was very 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 well done movie i highly recommend it okay i'm sure it'll end up on netflix or something very very soon because uh, it's one of those films that you know we saw we saw on a sunday night so probably not like the biggest night of the week to see films but i think there was like six of us in the theater to see it oh wow okay hopefully you know it'll get some attention on netflix because it's a like top one of the top films i've seen this year for sure this is a movie where after you watch it you just the next couple days you're like 
boy, that scene. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's great. Yeah, okay. yeah, really. really and you're recommending it. the movie theaters as well if people are in the yeah, uh, if you live in uh, Washington, northern Washington area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really. They're playing Ghost Stories, the British film Ghost Stories, which is not playing here in Vancouver. And I really want to see that. It's playing in the smaller one of the limelight. So I'm gonna. I'm trying to talk one of the girls into going to see it with me. Is it a scary film? It's a very scary film, apparently. Mm-hmm. Very atmospheric scary, which is what really freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Like I can sit through gore and just be like, "Yeah, it's gross, but it's yeah. not scary." Um, but uh, when you put when you put goosebumply atmosphere into a film, then I, you've got me. You've got me with my hand on my face, nervously tapping my. What's your uh, What's your snacks of choice in the uh, in the movie theaters down there? Oh, just the usual stuff. Popcorn. Going with popcorn? And, yeah, popcorn okay. and a pop, of course. I don't really like uh, like too much savory stuff or something weird in the theater. I don't mm-hmm. know. This seems odd. You're to not me. a sweet uh, fellow either? You don't get a goobers? I don't. Not in the movie theater. I mean, I am a sweet guy, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone says that to me. That's how <laughs> sweet I am. But I do know I do like candy a lot. But for some reason, I don't associate candy in movies. No, I don't either. And uh, that thing about people uh, shaking candy into their popcorn—I don't know where that came from. But that that's was a recent not... thing, isn't it? They have like See, feels Smarties, like it, but in they a... make it—they make it like this is a thing that we're all yeah, on we're all board. on board. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we all knew about this, right? But like... once again, it's that thing that's become common now of salty and sweet, mm. like salted caramel ice cream or, or your peanut butter parfait with its its shitload of salt on the bottom of it. But I imagine when you're eating it, you're still eating salty peanuts with, right. with sweet chocolate and ice cream. The snack police are uh, coming Yeah, by they're coming. They're, they're angry at us uh, for knocking this whole popcorn. I think, you know, when people were shocked uh, a, a couple of years ago, mm. when Denny's came out with bacon sundaes, it was like, we've mm-hmm. paved the road for this. <laughs> we've paved the road completely for this. Here. And oh, there oh. it goes, and hopefully everyone's okay. That yeah. was a... It's a fire engine. Fire engine. Yeah. Hooray uh, but, for the brave fire Yeah, we've been mixing the salty and the sweet together. Uh, unlike the... Like the show. That's very true. Unlike the British uh, theaters, which, again, occasionally I think, like, I would like to live in London mm-hmm. because I can travel everywhere. Mm-hmm. I can see plays. Yeah. And then I go, like, oh, man, I love movies. How much do movies cost? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so expensive for, like, the high-end movies. For, yeah. like, a, you know, yeah. you see an Infinity War, that's going to cost you... Huh. And then you go in there, it's like, could I have a popcorn, please? Sure. Would like it salty or sweet? Oh, yeah, well, all right. Uh, I guess with butter, we don't do that. Well, fuck off then. <laughs> I guess uh, I can't move to London. It's a, it's a deal breaker, hey? Yeah. I'd have to like go with a pocket full of melted butter and just like sneak it in and just like pour it on. And they'd be like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, drugs? All right, then. What movie did you see when you were in London? Uh, G.I. Joe, the sequel. Interesting. Yeah, I just want... G.I. Joe I, I don't Retaliation. Think, I, I didn't stay... There you go. Uh, which, come I, on. Yeah. Opening to that film, fuck off. I think you can spoil it. It's been a long they time. They kill everybody. They kill everybody. All yeah. the characters that you liked from like, you the know previous why. movie. Uh, they all said no. Yeah, they couldn't afford them. They couldn't afford them, yeah. yeah. But, but the, all right. Then they could afford into, the rock. Put them into the deep freeze mm-hmm. or do something. But don't just like, oh, mm. uh, Cobra uh, showed up and they killed them all. No. I, I can't. This I'll, is... ta- I'll take a bunch of deaths, but... Brother, you better give me like a noble yo Joe yeah, yeah. doing something and not just what? Blam! <laughs> like, no, that's not how that it's goes. It's surprising, down. though. It was surprising. I got to say, I like that movie a lot, but I just like it a lot because of Lady J. A, I love the name Lady J. I don't know why. All right. I think that's great, but I also really like that actress. I, you know what? Uh, I think I stayed is, uh, three quarters of the way through just because I had other stuff to do that day, mm. and I was like, nah, it's fine. I'll go. Uh, and. And also, uh, Jonathan Price is having a heck of a time in that movie. There's stuff. Bruce Willis is very bored. I forget bored. who the twins are. Are the twins who are like uh, martial arts guys? And they're, they don't look like it's like 
I want to say it's like Shadow Fist and Fist Shadow or something. I was like, it's like one guy's good, one guy's evil, and oh, they're okay. like each on the other side. Is that when they have that weird cliff fight? Yeah, they have the cliff fight. And yeah. It's like the cliff fight's neat. It's okay. Yeah, it I wasn't filmed it. well enough to to work quite properly, but yeah, it was okay. I mean, it was a good listen, idea. Listen, if I'm a, if I'm a kid and I'm a huge fan of the first GI Joe movie, I would assume that I'd go to that movie and it would be as shocking yeah. to me as when I went to the Transformers movie as a kid, like the. Uh, or you know, a young a teenager, uh, and uh, it's like, oh, here's the opening to the animated Transformers movie. Yeah, uh, everyone's getting killed. Yeah, like, oh, that's exciting. That would be interesting, but not just all in one big. <laughs> all right, you're all dead. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Really? The rest of them were just victims to Channing Tatum. Mm. That's what it was. He just didn't. He didn't want to do the movie or whatever, and so they're like, okay, well, we'll just kill you off, and then you're free to go. And you kept to go do waiting, step up three, sir. Right, you kept waiting for like the scene. Well, I didn't because I didn't stick around. But like a scene after the credits, mm. where just like you see that they fake their deaths or something. Mm. Like no, yeah, but that's what you do. You'll no. fake it them out, and that's like well, we're fine. Shows up at the end. Yeah, that's what you need. worse in a way. He's going to be Gambit at some point, so you know he's going to suffer. <clears> I haven't guy. seen. I've never seen a film in London, but or in any part of England. And also, saw, sorry, I also saw the Spirit movie, which was terrible. Oh, that's a. But I did I did see a movie in France in Paris. I went to a movie, but I don't think we got anything at the theater. So I'll just say the Spirit movie too cheap. I saw a lot. Like I was there with I'd say twelve. There was twelve people in the theater. And mm. I was there with a friend of mine, yeah. Mike, and so we were there. We were like, well, let's go see it. Because um, we we didn't mind Sin City. Sin City was all right. So yeah, like, Sin oh, City's well, good. This seems like they're doing that kind of thing. There was so much. Of all of us in the theater, just constantly turning our heads and looking at each other, <laughs> just going, "What? What are they doing? What's this about? What? Are, you're seeing this, I've right? I've never seen that movie. This is a. Yeah. That's a weird. That's not a good choice at all. Mm. Oh, it's terrible. It's 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 yeah. I mean, listen. Every movie is someone's favorite movie. Yeah. And there could have been something that makes someone love that movie, mm. but I don't know what that thing would be. <laughs> I don't know what. Black and white? They tried so hard. I know, but you've already got that with Sin City. Spotted color? I guess. And it's like, Spirit's a real horn dog. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well. He's in the book, isn't he? He always falls in love. He likes getting smooches. He likes Pigal. I know know that. uh, He's a ladies' man, sure. But he's more more often than not, he's not interested. Like, he's not super interested. He's like, oh, Spirit, you must. And it's like. All right, yeah, I got it. Okay, there's some smooching. But in or, the books, yeah, he's always in the story. He's always covered with. He's with covered in smooches, yeah. but he's not like yeah. you know pursuing. Too no, hard. no, he doesn't. He's not a dog. Yeah, and in this one, he is a real uh, kind of sex hound. Tasting sand serif. It's it's written and directed by Frank Miller. Well, there so you go. So it's got a lot of Frank Miller. In That's it. a problem right there. I think Robert Rodriguez was able to kind of filter out the more the the excess Frank Millerisms in the first Sin City. Yeah. I think it really crept into the second one to its. To I, did, its... I, did, I didn't see the second. You one. didn't see the second one. No, has that also mm. got? Uh, I'm not going to say his name again because I'm getting it always wrong. But uh, Jonah Hex, Thanos, Cable. oh Josh Brolin, is he in it? Is he? He's, he's, he feels like he would be in a Sin City, mm. doesn't it? If he's not, he should be. He's got the mush I don't, for it. Don't remember. Uh, I'm going to say he is, even if he isn't. I think I'm still just in shock at the uh, scenes with um, that actress who was it uh, played um... Brittany Murphy. No, that was in the first one. No, in the second one, I uh, had uh, uh, Eva, Eva Green. Okay. Yeah. Good shock or bad shock? Good shock. Very nice. I think I don't. I don't think you're seeing anything. I think it's all computer stuff, but it's very nice. I say, well done. <laughs> speaking, did you uh, speaking as a horn dog? Yeah. Yes. Did you ever hear uh, uh, Alan Moore saying why Frank Miller's movies, uh, uh, comic books, make good movies? Uh, 
Do they make good movies? Well, this is this is Alan Moore's. Well, well you know, Three Hundred did. Quite I don't well. like Three Hundred. Well, you don't have to like it. It did all right. Uh, th- I don't th- think it makes a good movie. Sin City did all right. All right, suck it to me. What is what does uh, Alan Moore say about this? Here's here's what Alan Moore says about mm-hmm. it in a somewhat catty way. He's just like, <laughs> wow. oh, because Frank rips off movies so much, so that when you make them into movies, you go, yeah, that works. Yeah, because he's just making a movie with his uh, with his comics. <sighs> well, fair, unfair. You decide. I don't think that's true. Okay. True in the sense that he works in genres. Yes. But I mean, like, Sin City is based in noir, and noir isn't necessarily a film genre. It's also a, uh, it's also a, uh, you know, a literature. Do you think, uh, do you think in, in see how pretentiously I said that? Literature. You sure did. Do you think the Sin City uh, comics are, uh, are riffing on literature, or do you think they're riffing on film noir movies? Because I'd say they're more movies. Well, certainly the visual the visual yeah. elements of it are, but I and most of it is visual, right? Like, no, but they still have a plot and things like that that are that are based that that are heavily based in Mickey, mostly in Mickey Spillane, mm-hmm. and I think within well, a lot of prostitutes thrown in. Yeah, well, that's Mickey Spillane. I mean, the thing is, is that you know, it's kind of like it's it's kind of like <laughs> it's a weird way to say it, but it's kind of like Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett are vaudeville. Mickey Spillane is the burlesque circuit. So they're they're vaudeville. Okay. They're the class, and it still has a cheesy element to it. It still has a cheap element to mm-hmm. it. You know, you're getting your you're getting your sealax as well as your 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 oper- operatic areas. Sure. But burlesque is just you know it's you know the floors are covered with peanuts. Right. And that's just you know it's just like and that's and that's what Frank Miller's drawing from. He's not drawing from the more classic hard hard boiled tradition. He's taking it from a kind of later more more exaggerated. Um, tradition of Hardwell, where they took, you know, this where they took something that uh, elements they liked from something, but it's divorced from the reality of those things. You know, someone like Hammett was writing from experience. He was a private detective before he became a novelist, so he's writing from personal experience, working in that industry. Mm-hmm. You know, and he didn't like it. He left it because he didn't like it, but he was able to take take personal experience and and uh, you know, obviously make it bigger for 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 the pulp. The pulp magazines and stuff like that, which is what he sold his stories to, but it has a grounding in reality. And I think the same is true of Chandler. Although Chandler, I think, was like an oil executive or worked in the oil industry before he became an author. But what? But he was able to take his business, you know, his real life experiences of of business and probably a very corrupt business, the oil oil business of, of that time period. And it, and you know kind of write that sort of corruption large into this world of that this you know that Philip Marlowe his character, the sort of white knight, uh, you know surrounded by this world of corruption. Uh, is it you know whereas Spillane with with uh, Mike Hammer and, and those sort of stories it just seems very much it's Mike Hammer you know you can tell right there you have you have uh, the con- continental op, mm-hmm. the Hammett character, or you have Philip Marlowe the Chandler character and then it just kind of descends to Mike Hammer. <laughs> Like even that name is kind of corny, yeah. you know, and so it just—I feel like, but I feel like that's what, and that—that that is what uh, Miller was drawing more from that than he was from the more the more you know literary um, Chandler and Hammett, who were very good writers. If you read those books, they're very good. And one of my favorite, absolutely favorite Hammett stories is one in in a, a because what happened with Hammett. Just to further go aside, was you know he was um, I don't think he was married to, but he had a long relationship with Lillian Hellman, okay, the left wing uh, play, playwright and author, and she had a very particular idea of of Hammett, and um, when he died, she basically like she didn't burn it, but she just kind of put it as, like she 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 refused publication for a lot of his stuff that he wrote because she thought it was his garbage, 
you know, and she allowed his, you know, better stories, Maltese Falcon and the Glass Key and stuff like that to, to be published. But a lot of stuff got hidden and it's kind of put it away and no, and it wasn't allowed to be published. So after her death, and, and I guess whoever they inherit, you know, the people who inherited the estate, that whatever you call them, they, uh, they allowed, they allowed a lot of the stuff to get published. So there's a book that came out called Nightmare Alley and has like some of the stories where they're all really good. But there's one in there that is so good. It's so great. It's so atypical of anything he wrote that it really like highlights what a good writer he was. And he was able to like turn it around mm. and write this character where it's, uh, once again, it's just an, they're insurance investigators and he's got like this tough, gruff dad. And then it's the son is this guy who really wants this to be a poet. But he keeps he can't he keeps getting interrupted from writing his poetry, having to go out and do investigations. And so he goes there and he just does this. He's sort of a little condescending and very infuriating to to the policeman and stuff like that. But he solves the case, lickety split, so he can get back to the office and finish that sonnet he was working on. <laughs> and it's so good. It's such a great character, and it's just so it's written with such a light touch, kind of like and the Thin they, Man as do well. Do they then actually show you the sonnet? I think so. I think, oh. or the poem. I think you kind of get the. I can't remember now. It's been a while since I read it. That would be gutsy if they actually, if you actually wrote a poem at the end. It's one of those stories that I love so much. I will take out and read just for the heck of it. There's a continental op story, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Sorry, uh, where it's him going out west, and and there's a great scene where he has to ride a bucking bronco. He knows that he's in for it, but he just knows that's also the rite of passage in the situation. Yeah. So he just. Just put goes through the punishment of it and gets thrown a couple times off a horse and just. But then once he does that, everyone ah you're an all you're an all right guy you know you're an okay guy, uh, and that's just the way it has to be you know you got to prove you're tough otherwise no one's no one's gonna like you. Now have I seen you dressed as Daniel? Uh, yeah, I came as Dashiell Hammett to uh, one of the one of the right clubs. Yes, you did very yeah. good. Yeah, that's what I thought. And and you lost like to my daughter who, who was, was playing uh, R.L. R. Stein. Ah, but I, so, so Stein beats. But I believe that I won as Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, nice one. Yeah. Yeah. I had a crow on my shoulder, or a raven on my shoulder for that. So your Poe choice was the best choice. My Poe choice? My Poe, po, my Poe choices? Yep. Yeah. You're just a Poe boy. That's... Nobody <laughs> loves me. I got That's no hard to say. Now, we were going somewhere. Oh, we are talking about... Uh, have you ever seen the film? Man, have I ever seen the film? Because now I can't... It's, um, it's a piece... I'm pretty sure it's based on a Mickey Spillane book. Um, and the movie is called... Help me, everyone! Come on, it's that one with the with the, the suitcase that, uh, that Quentin they... Tarantino borrowed for, oh, for okay. Pulp Fiction. All right, maybe the same suitcase. We don't know. It can't possibly be because the movie ends. But I can't. It's a very good film, and it's based on a, on a Mickey Spillane book. But it's much different in tone than his stories are. It's not as brutal feeling. Uh, Kiss Me Deadly. I think that's what it's called. All right, sounds about right. Yeah, has a very young Cloris Leachman in it. Oh, in a short role. Yeah. Who is still with us? Good on Cloris Leachman good for, for still being with us. Good, good for her. Very good in uh, Last Picture Show as well. She's very good in everything, frankly. Give she's me a bad Cloris Leachman performance. Can't. Uh, she's great in High Anxiety as well. She's in every. She's great in everything. Yeah. 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 Top yeah. top marks for uh, for like Cloris Leachman. Hooray! But I just want to say one more time: go Please. see Lean on Pete. All right, Lean on Pete. Yeah. Uh, don't uh, don't see Lean on Me by mistake. <laughs> That's right. It's mediocre. It's not Lean so on Pete. Yeah. Better. Lean on Pete. Very good movie. Now, Dave, do we have songs? We do have songs this week. Very good. We do have some songs. We have our top five harpsichord slash tack piano songs sent to us. The suggestion was sent to us by Trevor Lynn, which I I missed um, the message that he sent for some reason, even though I got another message from someone else mm-hmm. requesting Beatles songs last week. That was now. How many this, uh, how many of these songs are played by Lurch from the Adams Family? All of them. Nice. Yeah, and he sings them all as well. Uh, <laughs> That is, it's funny that you say that because 
the harpsichord went through a weird thing, right? Like the harpsichord was invented before the piano. And so it was the keyboard of choice for a long time. And in fact, the harpsichord is basically kind of an umbrella term for a lot of different sounding, but similar sound, different sounding, but similar sounding plucked instruments. Because actually, it's not a hammer. Like a piano, when you play a piano, you press the key down, it depresses the hammer against the string and it bongs against the string and it creates the resonance that you hear. It makes a song. The, the harpsichord is different. What you do when you press the key down is it activates a plectrum, which then it it uh, picks the string like a harp like a harp or like yeah like a harp or a guitar and so you and so you get a much more metallic sound because it's a it w- in the old days it was a quill now it's like a plastic thing mm. but but yeah and it would just go like this little metallic ping and so and what's interesting about the harpsichord now i cannot i cannot absolutely testify to this being true i may have dreamed this but i <laughs> seem to remember reading somewhere one time that it's really hard to record a harpsichord because there's a slight delay from pressing the key to the action in the harpsichord. Oh. So if you're playing in a group setting, it, you have to anticipate a, a little ahead of what's happening for your harpsichord to be in with the rest of the song. Now, if that's true or not totally true, I'm, I can't absolutely testify to that. I just seem to remember reading that somewhere when I was reading, a long okay. time ago, re- reading someone. That is interesting trivia. So the harpsichord was very popular for a long time from about the 16th century up to the 18th century. And then the piano was invented. And that pretty much put an end to the harpsichord for a hundred and so years. And then the har- Hammond organ came out, and then that was the end of the piano. And that was the end of the piano. Yeah, no one plays the piano anymore. Because you can just hit rumba, and like, uh, <laughs> it's just so easy. <laughs> I think that's the Hammond organ you're thinking about, but yeah, that's right. That's so great. Let's do salsa. Okay, how about rock and roll? It's so different. Every one of them is so different. It's not the Hammond. I think it's the Baldwin organ. I think I've got, I think I have a Hammond organ in my laundry room. Oh. Because our upstairs neighbors found one and put it in there and it's taking up way too much space that's kind of cool i'm pretty sure it's a hammond organ and one time i found a uh, an old vox or old fender uh roads a kind of kind of piano um Mm -hmm. and it had it had an inverse key so the the white keys were black and the and the black keys were white i like it and it was at value village they wanted a hundred dollars for it hammond organ nice yep they want and they wanted a hundred dollars for it and i didn't buy it because it was missing uh one of the keys what key was that i just like one of the keys on the on the keyboard don't play that one I don't want There's to... all the other songs you could play. Every day I kick myself for not getting that. Mm-hmm. Every single day. Um, I want to think about it. So anyway, so uh, then when the 20th century came, people were like, hey, you know what? People used to play the harpsichord. We should bring that back. And so classical composers started like incorporating it. And also people wanted to do um, authentic, old, like, you know, Bach. They wanted to play authentic Bach because sure. Bach basically wrote for the harpsichord. So, you know, if you're going to play some authentic sounding Bach, you're going to get out your harpsichord. So the harpsichord kind of came back again because people were like, well, we should play old music, like Baroque music, the way it, you know, was meant to be played, like, you know, on a sack butt and a a harpsichord. And we're going to dig out all these old instruments and we're going to revive the actual sound that you got to hear. And so the Hammond, or not Hammond, where, who's talking about the Hammond organ? The harpsichord came back into, not in fashion, but it came back. And then... Because it's sitting around in, in studios, because you know, because cla- when studios were invented, they were really invented for for symphonies to be in them. Like there were big places that you could have a whole symphony orchestra in them, so that they'd have the the grand piano in there, and they would have the harpsichord in there, and so people were recording, and they're like, hey, they left this harpsichord thing in here. We we should add this to the song, and so yeah, there's like a 
I can't remember who it was now, but in the 1940s, there's harpsichord like in jazz, like swing and jazz songs that okay. people, their harpsichord was incorporated. And I believe it was used, uh, like in Rosemary Clooney's, uh, like, uh, Come On to My House. And if I knew you were coming, I'd bake a cake. All right. They played the harpsichord that. Just because it added, a slightly different tone than the piano. Like a piano is kind of a warm yeah, sound. Yeah, it's, it's a jarring. It's a sharp. And it's, yeah, a little sharper and more. Yeah. And that's why it really appealed. Like and then when the 60s came, people were just like, this is the best. Like this is a great sound. Like you, you know, you can have a harpsichord. Like, um, and even like, well, with In My Life, even though it's not a harpsichord, mm-hmm. where George Martin uh, slowed down a piano to play this kind of complicated part and then sped it up so it would fit into the song and it created a harpsichord like effect but it was actually on piano but still that beat the idea of the harpsichord and like harpsichord obviously in in uh, lucy in the sky with diamonds and walk away renee it became a very popular uh part of what became known as broke pop what uh, dave is mentioning now is songs that he did not pick as his top five you can tell that is a little uh well yeah i didn't want to kind of go with the obvious ones because i think we all kind of People who love music or love pop, 60s pop music, would know Walk Away Renee, would know Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So I kind of stayed away from the stuff where I thought, this, everyone knows this. Or, you know. And then Trevor also asked for um, songs with tack piano in it, which I found a harder thing to do because tack piano is such, it's basically used more as a percussive part of a song rather than as a, a standout instrument in most songs. The tack piano or jangle box which is what they called it in Britain, mm-hmm. is a piano that you've, you attach, actually poke, put tacks onto the, onto the piano hammer. So when it hits, the, 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 when it hits the, the string, it makes a more metallic sound, and it, sounds, it gives it a honky-tonk piano sound, and it kind of gives it an out-of-tune sound that old honky-tonk pianos would mm. have. And so you would try it. So like think of uh, Rocky Raccoon by the, by the Beatles, All for right. instance, where you have that very, uh, you know, that very kind of metallic-sounding piano. That, that would be the jangle box or... But they they use it in a lot of songs, but it's not super obvious because it's, it's a very in the background sort of a, a sort of song, or sort of sound. And so I was I tried to find a couple songs where it's a bit more prominent for the. So I included a couple of harpsichord songs and a couple of jangle box or tack piano songs as per Trevor's wishes. All right, let's get to them. And I'm sure that Trevor wished for them to be from the '60s because he he knows that I'm a '60s guy. And is his wish going to come true? And his wish just might come might come true if he's lucky. If he's not lucky, it won't come true. That's just how it goes. Uh, so, so the first, I'm sorry, I just have to open my, 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 uh, little memo app on my phone, because that's where I write all my little songs in there. And then I know all my, my <laughs> countdown songs, <laughs> sleep songs, industry songs, technology, that's one, murder songs. Here are we they, go. Are these requests people have, uh, no, made, there's, there's ones just... that I just do. Because I like you to. make requests for yourself. I make requests for myself. I just hear a song and I go, "Oh, that's interesting." I wonder how many murder songs there are that I can think of now. <laughs> so these are harpsichord, tack piano songs. So I'm gonna no once again no particular order, and I'm probably not ending in a. I seem to never end them in a like a in, on a high, but but here we go. So the first song I chose is by a really interesting band to me. Uh, I first heard this band um, through David M. He played the song for me because he he loves it a lot. And I love it a lot, and I love the album a lot. It's by a, a group, and I'm going to use that term loosely, called the Neon Philharmonic. And they were uh, basically two guys, uh, a composer, a jazz musician, crazy man named Tupper Saucy, T-U-P-P-E-R, first name, S-A-U-S-S-Y, last name. And this uh, singer, who was like a studio uh, guy named Don Gant. And they got together. They both wrote for Acuff-Rose uh, uh, songs, which is a very... Very well known, very, very big 
uh, big kind of country music publisher in Nashville. They both kind of, they did demos and they wrote songs for this. And, and Tupper Saucy started using like spare, uh, session time to compose and put together these songs for, and he got Don Gant to sing them. And, and so the album is called The Moth Confesses. And it's this beautiful. It's a good name. It is a good name. And it's this beautiful, um, kind of suite of songs detailing, uh, a guy meeting a woman, falling in love with her, breaking up with her, and then kind of going out into the wide world. And it's got this beautiful song called A New Life Out There. And it's this beautiful song about moving on. And I feel like it's a very 60s song, this idea of that mm. escaping your small life and, and moving out into this big world. Somewhere out there is this this life, new life for me. Oh, and it's just a great, it's a great album, and I highly recommend it. But uh, And this this is the standout song from it uh, called Morning Girl. And right. so we'll play that now. So I think Sounds everyone will good. really want to hear this. Because I really want to hear it. Morning, girl. How'd you sleep last night? You're several ages older now. Your eyes have started showing how. The little girl's growing now Morning girl Was that you last night Crying on the radio Begging for a way to go To go back where love wasn't jumbled so Oh no, things are different now than they were before You know love is more than kissing A whole lot more Morning girl Put your dreams away And read your box of Cheerios And powder puff that pretty nose and go out and find your man where the wild wind blows Morning girl So that's what you can do with the cream of Nashville session players. That, uh, mm-hmm. I know it has Kenny Buttry, the the drummer. He played with uh, on Bob Dylan's Nashville albums as well. That's one of those uh, uh, songs that if it had become popular, it was it was a number seventeen. Okay, it was, it was a it was a pretty good hit. Like as in, like if it was popular now, it's yeah, like yeah. people would go like that guy sounds creepy. Mm. There's something creepy about it. Like mm. it just sounds like, hey, morning girl, mm. hey, you got you get your pretty nose out mm-hmm. there and do all your the, yeah. get those Cheerios and it's like, okay, it's just like I know it was a different time. It's mm-hmm. fine. Sounds like a creep. Sounds mm. like a creep yeah. to me. But that's just me. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe a harpsichord just makes you sound creepy. <laughs> <laughs> we also well because yeah, well the harpsichord it became 
in our mind, it became like it became like kind of a joke instrument in other ways too. Like because uh, you mentioned Lurch from the Adams Family, mm-hmm. like he plays a harpsichord because that is old. Yeah, that is so old. Why we need him to play an old instrument? What's an old instrument? Harpsichord. Yeah. Ugh, so old. But but he can still time. do the he can still do almost the fun Ray Charles mm-hmm. type stuff with it and uh, and and goof around a little bit. But yeah, it's also very sharp sounding. Yeah. It's very like if you if you're used to the piano, the first time you play a harpsichord, or the first time you play a harpsichord, mm. it was like whoa, mm-hmm. that's yeah off-putting. Yeah. That's a little jarring. And interestingly, I think in this song, I think it has a it's really uh, the uh, the engineering's um, you know okay. Let's just. We'll just go. Uh, we'll go around it. I think that it's really interesting because obviously it's really close mic'd, so you get the buzz of it, not just the not just the tone of it, but you get that kind of almost percussive buzz from the, from it, the way the mics are. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting to me about like the piano, but and also would extend to the harpsichord is um, Glenn Gould, the Canadian pianist, kind of revolutionized how pianos were recorded because bef- there was a time like pianos were you would set a mic up away from the piano because pianos are so loud. And so big, you don't need you don't need mics close to it. But what he would do is he would close mic it, and then compress that sound because it was so it's so loud that it's, it almost would damage the mic. Right. So you have to con- limit how much information it's getting from the piano, and then you medium, and then you lo- have a like a room mic, and then he would do a careful mix down of those different sounds to create this sort of layered piano sound that would give you like a full this real resonating sound. And it was very careful. It took him a long time to develop that. And he and engineers would work to get the sound that he wanted from the piano. Like he wanted to sound like a piano should sound. And it was really hard to get that sound for a long time in recording. And I think that the 60s benefited from that kind of pioneering mic work to the sense, to, you know, like so that you would have, like, say, a Rudy Van Gelder who was very good at creating, like, this great engineering, great room sound, you know. And basically he recorded, like, all these great jazz musicians in his living room with mattresses piled up against the window and he was just able to get this great room sound the way he placed the mics in the room to get this balance and everything but glenkel wasn't interested in the reality of it he wanted the he wanted the fantasy of the piano sound too so he created like an artificial sound and that i think really kind of you can see that coming in like the way say jeff emmerich engineered the beatles where he put a a, a microphone in ringo's drum you know, with a sweater and a bunched sweater. So you got, and then also got you, so he also put a room mic. So you got the sound, the room sound of the drum, but you also got the close up sound of the drum. And he would mix those in such a way that you got that kind of weird sound to the drum. And like I say, not just the sound of the drum, the sort of fantasy element of the drum, the impact of it as well as the sound of it, you know. And that, and you hear them in that song, the way the, the harpsichord is mic'd, you get this kind of almost drone to it that's really interesting. And I also want to say that I, I'm not sure if some songs, I'm not sure if they actually are playing the harpsichord. They might be playing something like a clavioline, oh. which is like an early synthesizer that sounded very harpsichord-like. So um, if you're going to write in with like play some cal- cal- clavioline songs, <laughs> or you're uh, don't, complain. Bo- don't bother. Or you're going to complain about it. I'm going to say, well, it's fine. Well, it's, I'm going to say it's free. That what you're they right want, now, they, so what are you going to do? Well, they, you know, because if I'm right, and it is difficult to record a harpsichord, uh-huh. it was much better to use a clavioline, which was more reliable. In its sound, easier to make, easier to use, and and if you know the difference, let us know. Bonus for you. All right. And uh, number two. Number two is. Uh, yeah, in no order. Number two is. Um, sorry, I was just looking to see what time. It, not time, but just to make sure we're still recording. Okay. Uh, number and your two, car is not being towed. My car is not being towed. No. Okay. Um, let me just 
Now that you say that. Always worth a look. Uh, I'm just going to do, just let's just take one for a quick pause. Morning, Dave, <laughs> as your car gets towed away, spending time. The songs go on and the car goes by, away it goes down the street. <laughs> Oh, no, it's not right. Morning, girl. It's catchy. You can't say it ain't catchy. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> it's funny that you find it creepy. Oh, yeah, it's creepy. It's weird. I don't listen to the lyrics very much, though, so. It sounds very Davy Jones from the Monkees to me. I could see him doing that song mm, on the Monkees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be good. All right. I paid for some more parking. So uh, let's uh, head head to head to England. Oh, we're going all the way to England. We're going all the way to England. I was, I was mentioning earlier yeah. on the show, I really like England. That's good. And this song is our ta- one of our tack piano songs. And um, maybe our only tack piano song. I haven't quite decided. I'm up in the air about the other song I want to do that has piano sound to it. Um, but this song, I first heard it's a B-side, sports fans. Oh, I quoted the Bonzos. This, is a song, this song is a, um, it's a B-side uh, of uh, a single that's pretty popular called Lola. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, this is the king from the by the king. The song is by the Kinks, and uh, I bought the single when I was younger because uh, the original Pie single with the with the light blue label, because the album used uh, Coca Cola uh, drinks, just, uh, champion that tastes just like Coca Cola. Right. But the single, because the BBC objected to them advertising Coca Cola in the song, oh. they re-recorded it with the words Cherry Cola, and so I had Lola. Uh, versus Power Man and the Money Go Round, which is the album that Lola's on. But it, I'm pretty sure it had the Coca-Cola version, and I wanted to own the Cherry Cola version as well. So I found the single one time somewhere, and I thought, well, I'll buy the single, and then I'll have that version of it as well, the Cherry Cola version. And uh, But of course, I listened to the B-side, and it had this great song that was so super fantastic, and I couldn't believe how good it was. And I was like, why come no one talks about this song? This song is as good as the A-side to me. I just loved it so much. And a song called uh, Barkley Muse, uh, a muse uh, being stables. Oh, okay. So if you ever are anywhere, it's called M-E-W-S. M-E-W-S yeah. yeah. It meant stables. There would have been stables there for people to keep their horses and stuff because they wouldn't keep their horses in their house. So you would stable nearby, but in, in the muse. Right, unless the person on the horse were married. Because it was a very different yeah, time. Yeah, that was <laughs> apparently and Queen Victoria went very next different. to that. Yes, she said nay. <laughs> so... Um, this as long as you're in a stable relationship. Yes. <laughs> and so this song, um, it, it prominently features the great, great, great session musician, Nicky Hopkins, who provided piano and organ to many great uh, hit songs of the 60s. He play, basically played on like uh, four Kinks albums, like just through, the, through all of them, like through Village Green, Preservation Society, uh, Face to Face, um, the other one, the other one before that, <laughs> all those ones. Uh, and all the hits you remember, all, the, and all hits, the hits you don't. All the hits you something else by the Kinks and um, that thing, face to face, the one that came before face to face, which I can't remember. Sorry. Um, and write in and tell us. Yeah, write in and tell me. Hey, boy, can you remember that that album right Let's now? Go but anyway, the phone lines and Once again, uh, still fake. For some reason, he and and uh, Dave uh, Ray Davies had a falling out. I think because Ray Davies took credit for some of his playing on uh, Village Green, okay, Preservation Society, and and uh, and. Um, Nicky didn't like that. But he also played like my all time, my favorite Rolling Stones song, Bar None. He plays piano on it, which is She's a Rainbow from okay. uh, their Satanic Majesty's Request. I know that's a, an album you're not supposed to like by the Rolling Stones, but I think it's a very good album. And I think that song is their best song. And I love the music box piano he brings to it. But okay. he also played piano on uh, 
uh, you know, that one that everyone likes, the one about, uh, <laughs> you know, the one I mean, I know, I like, I Sympathy like, for the Devil, yeah, and lots of other songs. He the, was the he's a rainbow one, uh, this yeah. is because I know nothing about music, but I do know about pop culture. Yeah. He was very well in the uh, first episode of Legion. Mm. Uh, he was very yeah, well to yeah. uh, Kristen Wiig's last episode of uh, Saturday Night Live, oh, okay. where uh, uh, Mick Jagger sings it to her while they uh, while she gets hugged by everybody. Yeah, he was. He made up that he was brought in, and you know, and they said, oh, "We need something like this." And he just started playing that part, you know, and just you know, we need a kind of a music box sound, and he just started playing that. And he's a wonderful player. Uh, unfortunately, he had some drinking problems in his life, and it kind of curtailed his creativity and his career. But, but just uh, super, and the Rolling super Stones player. Went, substance abuse is not part of the Rolling Stones. You know what? We have a reputation. But yes, sir. If you were a victim of your substance abuse, ah, very good. They left you behind, and they did not look back. Ah, fair enough. If you weren't man enough or woman enough to keep up with the Rolling Stones, they just carried on without you. They were a very, very cold group. I'll say that for them. Well, their songs uh, basically said that. So Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. They just moved on. Can't handle it? So long. Mick Taylor can't handle it? Adios. Keith Richards can handle it? Still alive somehow. Still, some, still, still there, yes. Yes, somehow. Um, so let's play uh, the song that I love so much, the B-side to Lola, which actually dates uh, dates from uh, the uh, sessions for, for Village Green Preservation Society. Okay. So it was weird for Pete Quaife, who had quit the, the bassist, who had quit the Kinks uh, a year before Lola was recorded. You know, I guess he heard Lola and then he listened to the B-side. And he's like, wait a second, that's me. <laughs> but anyway, so here we go. Thank you. 
like Harry Nielsen, like a mm. like around the point. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. I could see that as like being sure. a song on that sure. album. Predates it by about four years. But oh, I'll take that, Harry Nielsen. <laughs> yeah, you can hear the tack piano sound, obviously. In that uh, yeah. Nikki playing that. No, I like uh, it though. That's that uh, really. Uh, pretty a prominent part of the song really i mean for a guy mm -hmm. and i think part i think he had what a, you know a lot of session musicians sort of develop which is resentment that they didn't get a at least a cut sure. of the not necessarily publishing but of the performance of the song like performance royalties because that's a you know he just got like 15 pounds or whatever to you know create like the backbone of that so song when they, so when they toured they wouldn't tour with him no no would and someone would, else do uh do that uh, do his part or uh, i don't it seems like I, nothing only he could do i doubt that they skill. i doubt they played that song live yeah actually that that was from a a real a really troublesome time for the kinks because they had been uh, because of some incidents that happened on their first tour in the states they were actually banned from touring in the states for five years so they weren't allowed to tour there and in England, they toured a lot, but I mean, you know, after a while, people got kind of tired of, oh, the Kings are coming in. Whoa, great. Uh, and they kind of, and they, their fortunes really fell to the point where they're just kind of touring like what it was called the cabaret circuit. Mm. We're doing small clubs and stuff like that because you're just not getting enough of an audience out. And, um, you know, like, uh, Village Green Preservation Society, it was a fairly large hit in England, but in the United States, I think it sold like 17 copies or something, like some pathetic amount. You know, it's like people, everyone who bought it knew each other, you know. And so it was, they just did not, their fortunes had really fallen. It wasn't until Lola, that actually, the, the single Lola, that, that kind of revived them again. Uh, you know, they put out, but to me, they put out great album after great album. I mean, something else is great. Preservation uh, Society album is great. Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire is a fantastic album. And Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Round, even though it's basically a, uh, an album about a nervous breakdown, it's just a great album as well. Like, this is fantastic. Like, you know, so they're just putting out great stuff. And it wasn't until Lola on, on Power Man that it, their fortunes kind of revived and they kind of started the second half of their career, which was completely different than, than their 60s stuff. But yeah, I don't think they would have ever played that song live. I don't think it was something that okay. they would have just been playing like, you know, Sunny Afternoon and, and stuff that people knew. Maybe a couple of their, their more recent singles. But I don't think they would have been doing like deep cuts, like B-sides and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. But I think it's a fabulous song. When I heard it, I was just like, why, why is this a B-side? This should be an A-side. And on, now people. you finally brought it to prominence. Yay! All right, watch it take off. Now people are going to know about From it. From 17 all to 18 are listen albums to it. sold. <laughs> They're all going to listen to it now. Now, number three. Number three. It's the middle. It's not the top, it's not the bottom, it's the middle. Number but it could be the top, three. it could be the bottom, because they're all random. With an arrow. Um, I'm going to slightly twist this. I'm going to move a song up and put a song down. Because this is another harpsichord song. What's interesting about this song, and this is a, a, an element of the 60s. I don't know if it's... Uh, maybe it's a constant thing in, in, in rock and roll circles. I don't know. This song is by uh, a band called Love. Do you know the band Love? Nope. They're not very well known. At one point, they were the band of L.A., they were the first rock band signed to Electra Records, who were prominent, were mostly a folk, uh, folk, uh, folk records and folk music. But, you know, they had, they had, um, uh, what's her name? Judy Collins. Okay. Was one of their, and a lot of people like that, you know, like a lot of, uh, you know, highfalutin. And so, but, uh, Love were their first signing. And Love was so well thought of by Electra that when, uh, Love recommended that they sign the doors, they did, even though they had a lot of reservations about signing this this band, which, of course, they never looked back, obviously, and Love receded into the distance. And the problem for Love, Love were one of the very first 
Uh, I think they predated the Chambers Brothers and Sly and the Family Stone. They were one of the first multi-racial bands. They had uh, black musicians and white musicians playing together. But the problem was, is they also they also had like a heavy drug element to the band, mm-hmm. and and the leader of the band, Arthur Lee, didn't like traveling, and he didn't want to leave the L.A. area. So they never like left California to to perform, and that really limits how much sure. ki- interest you will get garner. So even though your records are really great, uh, if you don't tour it, if you don't promote it, if you don't get out there and do American Bandstand or the Ed Sullivan Show and stuff like that. Which is all, you know, which are New York or Philadelphia shows. No one's going to know. Oh, maybe by that time the American band sent a move. But anyway, there are shows that, you know, if you didn't go do those shows, people outside of the major, pop, major centers of the music business aren't going to know who you are. Sure. And that's what kind of what happened to them. They put out, uh, two, two good albums and one, uh, kind of seminal great album that will never be knocked from its perch of greatness, which is Forever Changes. Um, but, but they just never like, they never were a hit band, and also, like hard drug issues, also really hit them hard. There's a there's a song I think from their first album called "Sign DC," which is this like kind of junkies lament sort of song, which references in, in initials the first drummer Don Conca, uh, but he wasn't the only one. Like all of them were mixed up in this stuff, and it affected all of them. And I think two of the band later on in the 70s were arrested for trying to rob a donut shop to get drug money. Uh, And so they spent time in jail. And Arthur Lee spent time in jail because he got the three strikes you're out law happened against him and so he had to go to jail. Uh, Even though he was like one of the greatest songwriters of (laughs) of that time period. Uh, You know, he just, drugs are bad, people. Just want to say that right now. Drugs are fun and bad. That's so, but more bad than fun, it, it turns out. So, um, but their second album, so on their first album, Love, they had a, a drummer whose name was Snoopy, oh, sorry, Alvin Snoopy, nicknamed Snoopy, okay. Fisterer, P-F-I-S-T-E-R-E-R. Uh, and uh, he was actually a, a, a keyboardist, classically trained keyboardist, who uh, Arthur Lee said, you know, you look like a drummer. I want you to play drums in my band. So he played drums on the first album. Uh, but on the second album, they they brought in a different compliment or insult. Well, the same thing happened to yeah. to Skip Spence, uh, Marty Bellin from from the Jefferson Airplane saw him one time and he said, "You look like a drummer." So even though Skip Spence was actually a guitar player, he played drums in the first Jefferson Airplane album. <laughs> Later, and then he left them and he formed Moby Grape. You have that drummer look. Yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't okay. it? Okay. Um, so you look better at a little bit more of a distance seems, than the rest of us. It seems odd, just but a little farther back on stage. Mm-hmm. You're the kind of guy that we really shouldn't get too close to the audience. Well, I think it's, I think they're looking at them and going, you know, like I need a drummer, but and you look great. Like you just have a great presence. Sure. And so why not? Because anyone can play the drums, right? If someone said to you, Dave, you look like a drummer. Mm-hmm. Compliment. I'm not taking it as a compliment. <laughs> you're not taking it as a compliment. <laughs> nope. It you're going means... like of the of uh, you know of the Beatles. You're like, yeah. Hey, you look like eh. you're a but, you're a real Ringo. Hey, but if someone said, hey, you're a real Dennis Wilson. Dennis Wilson was a good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Like, is that, a, is that where a... you go to when you hear drummer? Yeah, I do actually. Because uh, yeah, I think of to me, hi- drummers. <laughs> drummers are kind of hyper ADHD guys sure. who you know never listen in class and spend all their time banging on the de- desk and yeah, ooh yeah, gotta move. Let's do some stuff. Hey, there's the girls over. Let's go talk to them because uh, you know I'm, I'm a guy. I can't stop moving. Let's uh, do this. Let's do that. You know, that's the guy you want on the drums because they just got a lot of energy. Keith Moon, you know. Sure. Okay. And Keith Moon was not a bad-looking guy when he's younger. Later on, he didn't look so good. <laughs> Later on, he looked like. You know, the guy who played Fagin in, in the Oliver Twist. 
But when he was young, he was a really, you know... Well, he, he looked that way because he had all the orphans around him. Mm, no, I don't think it was that. But anyway, um, had a lot of a lot of something in him. A lot of booze and I like I like and, that yeah. that's creepier to you than having a bunch of orphans around him. Well, I, just, <laughs> I think that's the creepier one. I guess it's creepy. It's not that he looked creepy. Or like it's, he was a bit of a drug guy. <laughs> he just looked like he looked like he lived a, a life. He lived a full and re- life full I of stuff. I regret interrupting you. Please continue. But uh, so, What number are we on now? What's coming up? Three, I think. We're coming We're up on three. This is three. Oh, okay. What? Because I got, I got. Uh, it's uh, it's my anniversary. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's okay. okay. <laughs> right. I like hearing it, but uh, yeah, we're, okay. yeah keep, got... keep it, keep it going. That's all right. So, um, so yeah, so uh, the second album, they actually brought in a drummer mm-hmm. and another guitar player, and and so uh, Elvin Snoopy Fister moved from drums to keyboards. Uh, yeah, they brought in a guitar player and they brought in a flautist saxophonist named Jay Cantrell. You e. look like a flautist. J spelled with a T. T J A Y. Nope. That's what nope. his name was. No, no dice. Jay Cantrell. Nope. Uh, and so, um, so they did, they did, uh, their second album, which is called Da Capo. And it has a fantastic first side of the album. Six, count them, six beautiful songs, six wonderful songs, great songs. Side two, the decision to make the 20 minute long side long blues jam suite okay i don't know i don't go i just cannot go all right can't go that way i love the first side though it's so good it's so good uh so i'm gonna play i could play any one of the songs from that from that side but i'm gonna play but this instead song. you're gonna play the blues jam here we go <laughs> whole thing 20 minutes folks <laughs> here's revelations if you're not by... making out you're not doing it right here Re- we go revelations by love okay and ian has to listen to it all too so mm-hmm. we're gonna sit here i know he has a anniversary thing he wants yep. to go tonight but we're gonna play 20 minutes <laughs> revelations by love from their album decapo everyone here we go a thought in my head, I think Of something to do Expressions tell everything I see one on you Whoa, 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 whoa My love, she comes in colors You can tell her Tell her from the clothes she wears. 
question to you. Which mm-hmm. came out first? Uh, she's like a rainbow or this? Oops. Sorry. Uh, which came out first? This album was 66. So about the same time. Okay. I'm not exactly certain. Cause no, the, just like you were mentioning. Like no, because... Be- uh, no, it came out before she's a rainbow because... Uh, that would have been 67. Yeah. Uh, That's just what immediately reminded me. After you were going on, your favorite mm-hmm. song is like, she's like a rainbow. Mm. And then like, she comes in colors. Well, yeah, of course you like this song. Well, I don't care know. about the lyrics, so I like the, the music uh-huh. of she, she, she's a rainbow. Yeah, but it's also the same she, thing. She comes in colors she and a, she's a rainbow. Mm-hmm. She's like a rainbow. Yeah. Yep. That's colorful, color, colorful girls. Yeah. I mean, uh, until you paint it black, which, but that's a, yeah, that's, that's a, a that's not a, these guys. That's an earlier song than She's a Rainbow. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a popular time. Lydia Purple, another song that I uh, use colors to describe. Why not? It's, um, I guess it make, gives a kind of a, I think the time period was the idea of, you know, this sort of acid, you know, acid LSD sort of inspired music where a lot of colors were used to, yeah. you know, there's a, another song on, on this album called Orange Skies, not written by, um, uh, Arthur Lee, but written by uh, Brian McLean and the other guitar, another guitar player in the band, and um, that that song is very much, you know, uh, has that kind of sound, you know, orange skies, you know, cotton candy. Da, 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 it's funny while stuff. you're saying this, I was just looking behind you. The sky is orange right now. That's nice. Ironically, very not ironically, no, like coincidentally, uh, I think you appropriately, mean appropriately, perhaps. Is yeah, the good. opposite of ironically. Mm-hmm. And that's all, I think that song's kind of funny in a way to me because Al, Alvin, uh, Snoopy, Fister are going from playing the whole song as a drummer. Yeah. Would be kind of a key to the, the rhythm part of the song. And now, then he's just like part of the splashes of color, musical color in the song, you know, where this, the, the harpsichord comes in to kind of accentuate that, that kind of bridge, bridge part of the song that takes us from, um, and really, uh, Jake and Charlie has way more to do in the song with his, with his flute playing. I think it's a beautiful song. I think that uh, I would agree. It's a beautiful song. And um, weirdly, uh, neither Jay Contrelli nor Snoopy Fisher were therefore the greatest love album, which was Forever Changes, which um, was kind of like the the greatest, uh, you know, the great the great kind of the the culmination of that period of Love's career. And what's interesting is the band was completely in sh- a shambles. And Arthur Lee was just so frustrated with them that he recorded two songs using session musicians, using the famous Wrecking Crew uh, for two songs. And the band were like so shocked that he would do that, that they really got the shit together and then just turned in like a stellar album performance that this, you know, and then they broke up after that. But uh, yeah, great band. Very I good. I re- highly recommend those two. Uh, that I recommend the first so the first side of Da Capo and then all of Forever Changes. It's a fantastic album. So noted. Love it so much. Well done. Entered into the permanent record. Um, Number four, which is randomly randomly selected, selected but it, not so random in the sense that this is a, a tack piano song. Oh, okay. And I chose it because it tack piano, sunshine pop, and also features a musician a musician I like very much, which is Van Dyke Parks, who wrote the song and did the arrangement for it. So it's suitably weird, and it comes from uh, it's Harper's Bazaar, who started off their life as the Tiki's, which were kind of like a uh, I think basically a San Francisco kind of garage rock act, you know, All doing right. kind of garagey sort of stuff. Uh, but um, uh, this famous producer at Reprise Records named Lenny Warrenker, he he really wanted to do uh, the Simon and Garfunkel song, the 59th Street Bridge song. You know okay, that song, yeah, right? Yeah. Feeling groovy. Feeling groovy. And uh, and so. But he figured out a way to make it longer. Like he he uh, he put a bridge into it and then repeated the the song again. Mm-mm. So it's it's instead of being like the little minute long uh, kind of curiosity that it is on um, the Sounds of Silence album. No, yes, okay, 
Pretty sure it sounds sounds of silence. I'm seeing the cover, but okay, go ahead. It's the one with them kind of looking over their yep. shoulders, walking in in the park uh, in L.A. Yeah, that's what that's that where the picture was taken. Um, they uh, yeah, and he and so he took he took that very short song and he turned it into a two minute long single, but he needed singers and so he used the tikis to sing it. But because it was so atypical of their of their stuff, they changed their name to Harper's Bazaar. Okay. Which was a play on words on the yeah. on the magazine, which was a bazaar, like a place you sell, to a bizarre thing, B I Z A double R E, and I'm spelling a lot for this segment for some reason, uh, and so, but it was such a huge hit that then they be, kind of became Harper's Bazaar, and they did like another four or five albums, and then they then they fell apart. But Ted Templeman, who was one of the members of the band, later went on to produce Van Halen. Oh, okay, very nice. Anyway, so uh, this is High Coin. The song is called High Coin, which is kind of for a long time, uh, Van Dyke Park's kind of uh, set, uh, when he would played folk music, this was kind of like the, his set highlight. And then later on, uh, he did this version with um, Harper's Bazaar. It was not a single, it was just an album track, but I really like it. And it's kind of a, another, It's he's playing, I think he's playing tack piano. Tack piano is like the hardest thing to recognize, I found. Like, I was like, what songs have tack piano? Or maybe this song. No, that sounds like a normal piano. How about this song? Yeah, I'm not picking up any tacks or anything from it. I don't know. Is it tack piano? <laughs> it just seems that like the mostly it was used as kind of a percussive part of the the bed of sound in the song, not as a highlighted instrument, you know. Mm-hmm. Unlike uh, unlike Nicky Hopkins' part in in Barking Me's. So anyway, here's High Coin.
So the usual Van Dyke Park's wordplay with a lot of repeating sounds and, and kind of weird unfinished sentences and stuff. As far as I can see what the song is about is the idea of high coin being you're going for like big money. Okay, but it could also have a drug reference. I don't, it could, it could but I, I think of it as more like, a, it's sort of like he's going for the big time. Okay. And he's better than these people around, you know, and it's just kind of, it has a kind of sound like that too. I, might, I mean, it might be a drug thing, who knows. I mean, when I was listening to that one, I was like, that's a very druggy song for me. It does, it's, it sounds druggy. I don't think that Van Dyke Parks was like a big drug guy. Oh, it doesn't necessarily he just have had to a be really, that they are, but uh, yeah. he just has a, a good song to get high too. He has a really interesting, uh, arrangement style and he but he really likes like vocals that are kind of washed through the song yeah. and he likes that because when you think about the, how that song is and this is kind of where brian wilson was with with smile as well which van dyke parks worked with brian wilson on on smile and uh, you know and i'm sure he did some of the arranging and or some of the you know some of the ideas of the, how it was going to be arranged like it, it was actually van dyke parks who suggested to brian wilson the idea of using like cellos and strings as a percussive part of a song. And that's what led to like the sound of good vibrations. Oh, okay. Using like the, the way that the, the, the strings are used in that was based, based on what Van Dyke Parks had said to, to, to Brian Wilson. And that's why he was so interested in working with him on Smile. And, um, and what, uh, like, yeah, he just has a really weird kind of the timing of his songs and stuff is very odd. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. I really like, but when you listen to that song, you're like, well, how many instruments are in that song? Not very many. It's mm-hmm. basically like the piano, which I think of as like a tech piano. I don't know. Maybe you disagree. Maybe it's not a tech piano. Maybe I'm wrong. But that sound, and then uh, like a bell, like some sort of like a celeste or something being played. And then that's about it. And the rest of it's just, just the, the ornate voices really fill the song, you know, and, and, and I think that's a big part of sunshine pop sound is that very ornate, ornately orchestrated or arranged vo- voices. And someone like, Another major producer from that time, Kurt Betcher, like that was just what he brought to any of his productions were just these amazingly ornate, beautifully arranged vocals. And it really kind of, kind of goes through all of that, that time period of that, of that style of, of pop music. Um, but I do really like, I really like that sound. I love that song, song sound. And I, I, I'm a big fan of Van Dyke Parks. I think he's, he's great. Cool. Um, First time I've heard of him. So nice exposure to that. Number five. Number five with a bullet. Or does it have a bullet? I can't remember. Hmm. I can't remember what song is number five because I, uh, okay. Okay. This is, uh, <laughs> this is a, you know, I talked last week when, or a little while when we were talking about bubblegum pop, which by the way is fantastic music. I don't care what any of you doubters think about it. Uh, I was talking about Sunshine Pop, which I just kind of played. Okay. And then, uh, I was talking about what was called Toy Town Psych Pop. Uh, the British kind of version of of uh, acceptable tweeny music that kind of fell between the the harsh the hard psych of the later '60s sure. and the kind of the hard rock and stuff like that. And but I really like this song by a guy who um, it wasn't his real name. His real name was Peter Green, but there, I guess there already was a famous Peter Green who who was the original guitar player in Fleetwood Mac before he went went bonkers. And um, kind of made you know wrote all the great the sort of early great hits of Fleetwood Mac. Um, before they kind of had to wander off into the desert before they met Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and rediscovered their, their hit mojo. But Peter Green was like the original great songwriter and then he did kind of, he lost his mind, unfortunately. Mm, um, but so this guy couldn't be Peter Green. So he became, for a while, he became, uh, Peter Lee Sterling. And he also recorded under the name, uh, and wrote songs under the name Daniel Boone. Uh, yes, in the Daniel Boone, Daniel, Daniel Boone get up recorded. But at this point, 
he was uh and so he was in a band and then they were hired by some guy to be like a backing group for him and they were called the bruisers so and so and the bruisers and i guess he did pretty good out of that because when the band broke up he somehow inherited a studio like a recording studio mm. and so he did what a lot of people were doing it so a lot of people were doing this with bubblegum pop where they were recording a song and saying, let's record a bubblegum pop song and see if we can place it with some other record label, like Bell or, or whoever. Like some small label is going to be looking for songs, you know, because they want to keep pumping out stuff so the kids will buy it. And so we'll just do songs and then we'll see if we can place them. And so that's what they did. So they would just like make up a band name, like Rumpelstiltskin, and then they would record a song. And then they would say, you know, send it around to Decca or, you know, Fontana or Phillips or Parlophone or whoever. And to see if, do you guys want this song? Do you want to release this song? Because, and singles were big sellers to jukeboxes and to kids and stuff like that. And so they might, might be a hit or it would just disappear without a trace or it would go unreleased. You didn't know what would happen with the song. And so I, I don't know if the song was unreleased or if it, you know, if it just had a, ma- sma- a small release on a single, but I really like the song and it kind of, um, fits musically what I love, but also, um, where I am, where I am emotionally right now, watching Aldergrove get, uh, destroyed. So okay. this feels, this, it has a personal element to gotcha. it as well. Right. So I'm going to play this song for you. This song is called Goodbye Thimble Mill Lane by Peter Lee Sterling. Just working all the time We lived in the little house Right opposite the crown But progress said last orders, gents We're gonna Mother and dad will be ever so sad. Goodbye, Thimble Mill Lane. They'll knock you down, smash you down. It's a crying shame. Poor Thimble Mill Lane. The workers are indifferent. They're as cold as their machines. They'll smash my little kingdom Never caring what it means They're only after bonuses And better rates of pay But if they had to leave their homes I wonder what they'd say Maguire demolition have started again Goodbye, Lane. They'll knock you down, smash you down It's a crying shame Poor Lane. The work is almost over now 
Just one more house to go There goes the roof that kept us dry From winter's cold and snow The lino on the parlor floor Is shut by falling rain I shed a tear and walk away We'll never meet again Goodbye, Thimble Mill Lane Some brick dust and memories are all that remain Goodbye, Thimble Mill Lane They've knocked you down, smashed you down, it's a crime so did that come before or after Penny Lane? That would be after Penny Lane, for okay. sure. Yeah. I mean, Toy Town Psych really takes its uh, lead from the Beatles, yeah. from Sgt. Pepper. I mean, yeah. that was... It feels like uh, Penny Mill Lane is uh, down the street. Oh, sorry. Mm. Oh, sorry. Down the street from Penny Lane? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah down the street yeah, from yeah. Penny Lane, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Penny Lane... Yeah, you can't miss it. Just go mm-hmm. down, take a left, it's right there. Yeah, it's, an, it's, a, it's kind of the other side of the coin, because Penny Lane is, is a nostalgic song of memory, mm-hmm. you know, singing of something that is lost to the past. And Penny, uh, obviously that song is about the past, seeing the past being lost, you know. Yeah. And it's something that I, I guess just because there's so much, you know, Vancouver is changing so much around us now. And I guess you reach a point in your life, and I often joke about this, that I, I always think, I think, I don't think you die because you're old. I think you just die because there's so much disappointment. You just can't take it anymore. <laughs> and you just sort of just shut down. You know, I, I just drive around and I, I go through places where there used to be houses there that I loved. And I, and I, some, I don't know if I'm just like a weirdo, but I always like will drive by places that are boarded up and cl- closed and covered with spray paint. And I just think, oh man, like 20 years ago, like this was a house that kids came home from school to and, mm. and mom and dad were there or, you know, and they played and they went out, they went out and played in their yard. And, you know, I was or, talking about the Smash Gallery the, mm-hmm. yesterday and yeah, it was the same thing. It was like, oh, all this stuff that happened yeah, here. Yeah. Cub was playing while we had a big convention and this <laughs> yeah, was here yeah. and that was there and all that. And seems... like, oh, and then uh, next door, that's where Jackie Chan was shooting Rumble in the Bronx and was <laughs> doing that. And you could sort of see yeah. the Smash Gallery. Yeah, I wonder if it's uh, ever thus, though. I wonder if, like, people, when we... Oh, were I'm there, sure, I'm sure like, it is. Yeah. Oh, this city isn't at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know. Mm-hmm. I really miss the white lunch yeah. counter where well, that's we what I, that's promised what people we wouldn't have Chinese food. That was our <laughs> promise, because we're racist as fuck. Uh, yeah. yeah, I wonder. I mean, I guess you can always pull out the bad, but, I mean, there's also good in those time periods, too. It's not all terrible people. No. It's interesting when you're saying that, like, you, you, you just die because you're so disappointed. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. It was like, that also, it's like, I was feeling bummed out, like, about two weeks ago. And I was, uh, and I, I think I said to my wife, "Is like, you know, life is a series of embarrassing incidents till you finally die, and then you <laughs> shit your pants just to really give it a big boom." There, there, that's, that's all the thing. Uh-huh. I'm feeling better uh, today, but uh, I'm glad yeah. of that. I'm glad of that. Yeah, it's just a uh, and. You know, I, think, I think let's go with this. Maybe maybe you die because uh, you try to stay in the same place in the river. Maybe just let the <laughs> river take you along, see where it's going. Maybe it'll be fine. Uh, yeah, it's just a. I think well, just because you know, just the push of of development has finally reached where I've lived for a long time, and it was for whatever reason. Hello, siren. Hello, siren, my old friend. Same old sirens. You've come to drive by us again. 
the um, and we all hope everyone's all right for whatever reason. Well, because I know because Aldergrove was seen as like a lower class place, like a working class neighborhood, and not a place that was desirable to live for a long time. That's this that was just his reputation for mm-hmm. forever. Okay, but because the crush of development is and the press of people want to live somewhere. So people are just like, well, let's re let's rebrand Aldergrove. For now, now I notice there's a storm opening up, and it's now called the Grove. So no longer Aldergrove, we're the Grove because that's cooler than Aldergrove. You know, what, uh, they've a, they've knocked a down a lot our... of trying to do that that doesn't necessarily stick. They tried to call this sure. South Marine Drive, they called this Soma for a while. Mm-hmm. Hey, did that land? No, it did not. Yeah, it did not. Yeah, they'll try, um, but but other things do land like. It lands when they tear down the ice rink that was there from 1974. Sure. Because it's no good for the people who they want to live there. It was good enough for you guys 20 years yeah. ago. Fuck you. This place or is good enough. the outdoor pool that was kitty corner to, you know, place. Yeah. It's yeah. Gotta go well, same with us. Because we need a dog park. Yep. We're losing our outdoor pool as well. Because, yeah, that's no good for people who want to move out there. They don't want to swim in a little pool like that. They want a big pool. So they're building a big pool at an incredible expense. It's going to make our, our rates go up. But, hey, what the heck? This is going to attract more people out here. So this is all good. But anyway, enough of my complaints. Let's end with one song that's that's exciting. Okay. That is kind of a sad song, I suppose. Sure. But it does have some pump and harpsichord in it. In a song, and from a song that you wouldn't expect, from a label you wouldn't expect to hear harpsichord. So let's hear it then right you'll now. you'll say what it is after. We're going to do it fast because Ian, Ian wants to go and yeah. see his lovely wife. Yeah. And I want him to go and see his lovely wife. So so uh, here's this song and then we're, we're going to talk a little bit about it after we hear it.
would make a terrible real estate agent. <laughs> just describing this house. It really sounded to me like uh, I'll Be There wanted to break out at any mm, point and start, well, and start coming out yeah, of that song. Was it the same sure. band? Uh, same group and same writers, Holland, Dozier Holland. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. I'm just waiting for I'll Be There well, they, to kick in at any second. They wrote a song which was called Same Old Song, which is basically a comment on the fact that the way that the hit machine, the way the factory system worked at Motown was it made them write the same old song. This is the same song that you heard last time only with a different, you know, because it's basically yeah. was the same as uh, the previous song. That, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, Levi Stubbs is such a great singer. It's just an amazing song. That was one, like, the Four Tops was one of the longest lasting groups that were like, stayed together, like, for and such a long the, time. What was, okay, you said you wouldn't expect it from this label. What was the label? Uh, Motown Records. Okay, just, Motown. you know, but they were such chancers, like, that, you know, like, what was popular was what they would come to. And so, 67, so you got psychedelic music happening, the Beatles happening, stuff like that. The harpsichord starting to come into, to use in, in, in music. They're hearing, like, on, on the radio and, and they're like, well, we got to use it because this is a this is the sound of now, and we are the label of now, so we need to have this sound. So, here you go. But I love it because it's just because uh, the harpsichord. It's it's a beautiful instrument. Like you know, like um, Lisa and I were uh, when we were married. Um, the song that I wanted to be played um, at our wedding was one of the Brandenburg Concertos by Bach, which is a harpsichord piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember exactly which one it was now. I was going to say you wanted this song played. Yeah, I wish I had have had the song played at the you know, Seven Rooms of Gloom. This is our future, <laughs> which is not the case at all. So it would have been completely wrong. I Luckily, mean, I didn't still, play. Seven Rooms. What a bad it's prediction. Good. Yeah, Seven <laughs> Rooms. That's a good house. Uh, I think we have actually more than that. But um, it, um, the harpsichord, you know, it's it's beautiful in that context of like Bach, you know, like that Baroque sound, but. The 60s kind of turned into something different. It's almost a percussive instrument, mm. you know, like so, like in the, the love song, um, it's, it's used to great effect where it's just a part of the sound of that, that little bridge, you know, like, you know, and then in this song too, where it's just like pounding away, it's just part of the general mass of instruments played by the, you know, the, the famous, uh, the funk brothers, the famous, uh, uh, musicians that, powered all the the Motown songs and then and then we also have like the flip side of it with with uh like Thimble Mill Lane where it's used as a kind of a a melancholy instrument because it does have a sort of a melancholy sound to it as well and so you can you can use it there where it has it has this very you know kind of quiet you know very very kind of forlorn element to it and uh yeah it's interesting how, how flexible it was and I think you know I'm sure it's in I'm sure it's in modern songs as well um, I couldn't, nothing popped into my head off the top of my head. And really, I wanted to concentrate on its kind of golden age as a pop, sure, in, sure. pop music instrument. And I think that would be the 60s. Um, yeah, so there you go. Tech piano songs and harpsichord songs. And if there's, Hope you enjoyed them, and if Trevor. if there's something was missed, let us know. Please let, yeah, and let me know your favorite harpsichord songs. Because I'm sure when people ask me, like, harpsichord songs, I have some in my mind I'm thinking of, and I wonder if you'll choose them too. Neat. And probably I didn't. Okay. Because I am perverse. Very good. And, uh, and again, if you've got another uh, theme uh, that you want to uh, suggest, uh, let us know. Here's how you know mm-hmm. how, where to send the thing is because is I tell you right now. So get your pens out. Oh, you got them? I'll wait. Okay, good. SneakyDragon.com is our website. That's where we have our message boards. You can go on there. If you want to email us, SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. On Twitter, Sneaky underscore Dragon. Uh, do we tweet a lot? We, we probably don't tweet as much as we should. Uh, I've been busy. I've been tweeting for mad. I'm not allowed to tell you the specific tweets I tweet, but here's a secret. If I retweet them on my page, 
Probably I wrote them, but I don't hear that from me. Uh, we're also on Tumblr, sneakydragon.tumblr.com, uh, and, you know, all the other ways you want to approach us. And again, in person, uh, at uh, either TCAF, me and Nina, uh, that is uh, this weekend, the 12th to the 13th of May, or uh, next week, VanCAF, the 19th to the 20th. And uh, both of those shows are free, and if you show up and you buy a Sparks book, we will sign them and give you little drawings of them, and Dave will color them, mm-hmm. and uh, you'll talk to us, or just come up and talk to us. We yeah. have a, a listener, uh, James, who uh, came visit us many years ago. Is going to be making a revisit. We're going to probably go for uh, some sort of meal uh, with them. That's what we do. Who who else does that, podcast-wise? Will Jimmy Pardo take you for a meal? No. Will uh, Ira Glass? No. I'll tell you right now, Ira Glass will not. He will not return your phone calls. But we're uh, we're better people How than do you know uh, that? Ira Glass. Did you phone Ira Glass one time? You know what? I'm going to right now. <laughs> you phone him right now. I'm going to call Ira Glass. Did you mention that we have a Tumblr page? I think I did. One second. Hey, Ira. See you. Yeah. Are you not answering? No, you don't want me to? Okay. No. At all? D- f- fuck your listeners? To hell with them. Oh. To hell with them and fuck them. Not mm. in a positive way. You'd never take them to dinner. I didn't even ask. Were you listening to the show live? I didn't know you could. Oh, you listen to all podcasts? Oh. All right. Well, I'll let you go. All right. Okay. You're kicking a dog. Oh, jeez. What? To death? For doing what? For, for, for looking at you funny. Oh, my gosh. That sounds absolutely terrible. And what? Oh, it's just it's just an example to the kittens. Oh, oh you're trying to do oh, the kittens. So you're doing a Robert De Niro. Okay, that's great. Okay, well, I got to go. I got to go. No, I really should go. I, I got to go. Linda Berry said you were her worst boyfriend ever. Okay, bye. There we go. Wow. So that was Ira Glass. Kicking a, kicking a, a dog. To death. Uh, to uh, to intimidate some kittens that were wow. watching. Does, Get them in line. He does does sound like nothing that got a great guy. Yeah. I hope I hope he never hears that <laughs> phone call again because he he'll regret it that he was so so uh, candid. Mm-hmm. That kind of candor. Linda you Berry did say he was the worst boyfriend she ever had. Yes, she did. Yeah. But, she didn't say it. She drew it. Mm, that's how much she put meant it, it in a book, and then that book became a big hit. And won a lot of awards. Huh. And if you want to break up with someone and get that little zip in, <laughs> that is uh, the close best way to how to do, do it. it. Yeah, it's Maybe best the way. best way is to write a song about it and then have yeah. that song go out there and everyone goes, are you writing about blah, blah, blah? Are, and they go, yeah. yeah. And you don't actually say their name. That's right. But everyone are goes they, like, are you really? Yeah. Is that, who's that vain person you're talking about? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Miss Morissette, who are you talking about mm. with, the, with that thing? Yeah, who's, who's hand, whose pocket did you have your hand in? Mm-hmm. That's what I've always wondered. She's never said... Whose pocket that hand was in? We should have her on the show. Alanis Morissette? Yeah. She's an easy get. She seems nice, actually. I think she's... Oh, I, I think was she so seems... close to being at a barbecue with her. Anyway, uh. that's a story for another time, because i got to go uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and kiss my wife. Uh, so, listen, folks. Thanks, <laughs> yes. for, thanks so much for listening. We hope to see you in person, if possible, or uh, back here uh, via the internets uh, next time. Uh, thanks for uh, your kind attention. Anything more, Mr. Uh, Dedrick? That I want to add? Yeah. Harpsichord rules. And rake, rake piano? Rake, what is it? Rake piano? Tack piano. Tack piano. Tack piano drool. You might call it a rake piano? I didn't know what it was. Something. Whatever. Some fucking piano. Well, that's be like a prepared piano like John Cage would play. Sure. That's what I meant. A rake piano. That's, that's what you're exactly talking about. exactly what I, I meant. Yeah. And watch the Very skies clever. for the Marx Brothers podcast we got coming up, which the name is? Full Marx. There you go. I'm going to have a lot of disappointed people who like Karl Marx are going to be checking out going, oh, the history of Karl Marx. And I'm very upset. Okay, we're done. Bye. Bye, everyone.
that was uh, my parking location expires at nine. Which is in four, four minutes. minutes. Let's go. After you do your magical uh, mystery tour. Whatever. <laughs> whatever Ooh, it's the completely it Beatles reference. Is. Well, hey, everybody. This is uh, David here. Uh, Ian has gone to uh, his lovely dinner, and, and I'm left here. I'm, I've snuck back into the studio uh, behind his back, I guess, because, you know what? I just could not deal with the fact that High Coin didn't sound like it had a tack piano in it to me. I mean, I listened to it really carefully. I listened to it a couple times, and then I said, you know what? doesn't have a tack piano in it. High Coin. That's what I said. So... With that in mind, I decided I was going to change the, so the songs. I'm taking out High Coin, taking High Coin off the list. Now, I couldn't do it during the show, actually, and I was kind of considering it during the show. I was thinking the song would be more suitable. But then, you know, I knew Ian had to go uh, for his anniversary dinner, and I didn't want to make him wait while I added yet another song to the six I already had chosen. And so I, I didn't. I didn't add the song in, and I kind of wish I did. And that's why I'm doing it now. So, um, the song I chose is, uh, this song by the Mojo Men. Now, the Mojo Men are a pretty obscure band. They were a San Francisco act who, um, well, they were, they started off as like a R&B group, kind of R&B sound. They did like, uh, you know, Hanky Panky and songs like that. And then, uh, they were signed to Autumn Records, which was the label owned by Don Donahue, who's, uh, credited with starting the first kind of, uh, rock-oriented, uh, FM station in San Francisco. And so they were signed to Autumn Records, and the kind of house producer there was this guy named Sylvester Stewart, who later on became Sly Stone, uh, Sly and the Family Stone. But at this point, he was producing records for uh, for Autumn Records, and he d did a couple songs with himself in doing lead vocals and the and the Mojo Men backing him, which were when released at the time. And then they left Autumn and they went to Reprise Records, where they were produced by Lenny Warrenker, uh, and uh, had a song arranged by uh, Van Dyke Parks, no less. And so now this song, which is a uh, cover version of the Buffalo Springfield song. Sit Down, I Think I Love You, which was written by Stephen Stills. This song definitely has tack piano on it. It has tack piano and just about every other instrument known to man. Uh, and if you listen carefully, you can hear the wonderful vocals, uh, the wonderful background singing of Jan Erico, who was a rarity at the time. She was uh, a drummer and singer, but a female drummer and singer, which was pretty unheard of in rock and roll at that time. Uh, and so, um, yeah, she was an excellent vocalist, had that had that kind of um, deep female, uh, kind of folk female voice that was really popular at that time. Like There's a lot of uh, female singers who had that kind of really uh, sort of deep, um, I don't want to call it a kind of a, I guess an alto voice that was, was what she had. And uh, yeah, she's a beautiful singer. And if I had the time, I'd play you Beside Me, which which would fit right into the harpsichord thing. But because I wanted to get one more song in with Tack Piano, uh, we're going to listen to uh, this kitchen sink production by Van Dyke Parks of the, of Buffalo Springfield's Sit Down I Think I Love You by the Mojo Men from, I believe it's probably from 1966 or 67. Don't quote me on that. Anyway, it comes down, comes from a great, uh, Mojo, uh, great compilation album of this band called Sit Down. It's the Mojo Men. And it's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful, uh, compilation. Anyway, here it is. Thank you. 
Shine.